We sit glued to the TV set all night And every night Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright We got nothing better to do Than watch TV and have a couple of... Welcome to TV Times 3, episode 228. On this episode, we'll be taking a look back at the 2013-14 TV season with segments covering cancellations, network comedies, the standout new dramas Sleepy Hollow and The Blacklist, and returning dramas The Good Wife and Scandal, the comic book-inspired shows Arrow and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the fairy tale dramas Once Upon a Time and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and then closing things out with a reality check recap and some TV recommendations. You can find the full show notes with start times and the guests for each segment and more at tvtimes3.com slash 228. I'm Jason the TV Holic from tvholic.com, and to kick off the first segment, joining me are... Uh, I'm Amory from mytakeontv.com. And I am Ray. And she's Ray. Hey, Ray. And she's Ray. <laughs> yeah, this episode will be a little bit different. Uh, each segment will have, well, it'll have myself and then two various guests to talk about various things. First up, Amory and Ray will join me to uh, go over... Uh, we mentioned, you know, a lot of the cancellations and stuff last week, but uh, to kick off a recap, go over the network cancellations from the last season, which when you put them all on a page, <laughs> all typed out, uh, it's a lot of shows. And with most of them have, having been uh, new shows that they just announced at this time last year, it doesn't really make you... Uh, all that confident about all the things they just announced that we talked about on the previous episode. Uh, first up, ABC. Uh, over either uh, new shows or some uh, shows ending their run, we had The Assets, Back in the Game, Betrayal, Killer Women, Lucky Seven, Mind Games, Mixology, The Neighbors, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, Suburgatory, Super Fun Night, and Trophy Wife. That is quite the list of shows that uh, went away on ABC. Mm-hmm. We'll go through and, and uh, ask you a couple of questions based on uh, each of the networks. First up with ABC, were there any of these that uh, you were surprised got canceled? No. How about you, Ray? No, I don't know about surprise. So no, I, mean, I guess. Suburgatory, if I'm going to say at, at anything... I am surprised they didn't let it make 88 episodes because it would have been season four where they made it there, but not surprised at all. Is there, is there a show that didn't make this list from ABC that you're surprised didn't get canceled? Again, I would say no. Yeah. I I think the only one that was sort of close was Nashville. If you go strictly ratings wise, makes so much money in music. It's kind of, it's kind of surprising, but yeah, they have that whole other aspect that helps, the selling yeah. of music and concerts and all that other type of stuff yeah. uh, that uh, that one that one stuck around and uh, I think I know the answer to this one but is there a show <laughs> that you will miss <laughs> in that list Trophy of- Wife uh, yes for sure Trophy Wife and I will really miss The Neighbors because I loved it and I mean, Suburgatory had a really sweet ending, um, and I didn't like how it ended with George and Dallas. So I wish that we would have been able to see like a wrap up. Um, but tr- Trophy Wife, for sure, I'm so ugh, I understand it, but it makes me so mad. And the neighbors, I just love so much. 
Yeah, for me as well, the tro- uh, is Trophy Wife. Uh, that's the one uh, that I'm uh, will miss most. Uh, Suburgatory a little bit, but not as much because to me it was not as this last season wasn't as good as previous seasons. So, mm-hmm. so a little less there, uh, but definitely a Trophy Wife. Uh, and with that, we'll move on to CBS. Uh, CBS has gotten rid of Bad Teacher, The Crazy Ones, Friends with Better Lives, Hostages. Uh, How I Met Your Mother finally came to an end. Uh, Intelligence and We Are Men. As a cancellation, sorry. Go I'm ahead. just cancellations and shows that that ended this season. Okay. So those are the shows. Uh, again, any anything that surprised you there? For me, no. no, nothing. No real surprises on. I mean, on on name caliber alone, I didn't think they'd let Crazy Ones go with Robin Williams. Like I didn't think they would let him go. Um, but it doesn't surprise me because the ratings are terrible. Well, the ratings are terrible-ish for CBS. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, I would say any other network probably would have kept it, but not CBS. Yeah. So None fun. of the other ones. Yeah, anything, uh, again, anything that got renewed that you're surprised uh, stuck um, around? Like, say, The Mentalist or... Not because I'm, I don't like it, but I am surprised The Mentalist made it just because I don't think the reboot was as good as it could have been. I don't love the I don't love the world without Red John as much as I would have thought I would. Um so I'm surprised that because I don't think it was that creatively on an upswing, but whatever. Yeah. How about you, Bray? What got renewed? Practically everything. Yeah, everything else. <laughs> I don't watch much on CBS. So I feel like no. Yeah. I'm not really I mean I guess the mentalist, but I don't even watch enough to have thought that they wouldn't do the mentalist, I guess because of the ending of the red John thing. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. But I don't watch enough to know what was going on to know that they might've been at an ending point. I don't know. Yeah. They kind of wrote this last season to, or this last half of the season, they, they, they wrote it to an ending point that, you know, various shippers were hoping for. Yes. Uh, so it could have ended, uh, but you know, for a long running show, to give it a short 13 episode run to write something is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Any any of those shows that you'll miss? For me, it would be the crazy ones. I actually did really like that show. I did too, and I mean, it's I not that I'll I'm... miss it a lot or anything. It's not like yeah. it's not something like Trophy Wife uh, exactly that I'll I it'd probably be the top most missed on all the things that got uh, uh, canceled. Well. That and enlisted, but we're not to Fox shows yet. But that would be for CBS. That would be the one I would most miss out of their cancellations. I didn't hate Friends with Better Lives either. Not that I'm going to miss it, but I could have kept watching that, and I wouldn't have. It would have been fine. How about you, Ray? Again, not I <laughs> How I Met Your Mother. Um, yeah, I won't really miss it because it ended. So I don't yeah. really consider that the same thing. Like I didn't. It was like I, a surprise. It's over, or you're not going to get resolution. Though then again, surprise! That ending sucked. <laughs> I didn't care for Friends with Better Lives. I didn't care for Bad Teacher, even though that was one I was watching here at the end. Yeah. And I mean, like, I didn't hate the crazy ones, but I also didn't think it worked that great. Sorry. So nope. I don't have an answer for that. Okay. All right. Uh, next up, the CW. Shows that uh, were canceled or came to an end. Uh, the Carrie Diaries, Nikita, Starcrossed, and The Tomorrow People. Of the 
Carrie Diary, Starcross, Tomorrow People. God, it seemed like there's something else that they canceled too. I don't know. But uh, uh, any of those uh, surprising? Not really. No. Um... Carrie Diaries is watched by like 500,000 people a week. Like it wasn't even hitting a million. No, it's not a surprise. I think the I think everybody I think everybody will agree with the the surprising pickup, the surprising renewal yeah, from well, the CW. The I am a little bit surprised that they got rid of Tomorrow People. Maybe because I just didn't realize it didn't have good ratings. But it got better ratings than Beauty and the Beast that got yeah. renewed. <laughs> I do wonder why, but I mean maybe because they're going to try and have like summer season. Seasons and Beauty and the Beast is still going to air. Like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe they just picked it up. It'll actually, if it when it comes back, it'll actually not be till next summer or something. Yeah. But I mean, if it does well and it has a good social media following, you can't really go wrong. I mean, so I don't watch it, but... It's also the thing of the networks trying to keep a, a various number of shows from both CBS and Warner Brothers, you know, their produced shows, uh, as the... The things that were doing well and getting picked up were highly skewing uh, Warner Brothers' way, so I think that's also part of why that got uh, that got renewed. Uh, anything you, you'll miss uh, for me, kind of uh, the Tomorrow People. Uh, I I was I I like that show enough, not that it's a, a huge disappointment, but given some of the things that got picked up, uh, and then I'll I'll miss Nikita. I would I wouldn't have been perfectly fine with seeing. That show continued past the six episodes that it got for its final season. I will not miss any of these. I couldn't care less. All right. That's my thought on the CW. <laughs> and Fox. Things that came to an end and were canceled or some that never even aired. Uh, Almost Human, Dads, Enlisted, Raising Hope, Rake, Surviving Jack, Us and Them, and The X Factor. Any of those that your surprise got canceled? Dads. That's actually the one that's based on ratings. <laughs> it is no, kind of... <laughs> and I because of how much they they're up Seth MacFarlane's butt. Like I, I believe that I thought that show would continue forever. Yeah, it, I mean, possible. Although they have been letting go of some of his animated stuff, so it's not like they're just keeping everything uh, that he's doing. But between that and it being the higher rated of any of their new stuff. Yeah. It's kind of surprising, I guess, that it didn't. Maybe they realized that the quality was terrible. This is Fox. I'm not sure I would give them that. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing really I'm surprised that they renewed. I mean, some of the stuff is not really overly high rated, but, you know. The following I am surprised. I'm a little surprised that they renewed. I mean, I'm happy for it, but I'm a little surprised about Brooklyn. <laughs> I am, too, because their ratings weren't great. Well, I guess when they won, you know, they won the award and stuff like that, I think that was things that sort of bolstered that uh, being able to get picked up. Any of the which which of these will you miss? Enlisted so much. Yeah, that's the that's the one. I kind of miss Raising Hope, but it got a I it got a pretty got a good nice run. ending. Got a sweet ending that I, in a week cuz that that finale aired in the week when a lot of other finales aired. Uh with it aired like a week after Psych, a couple days after How I Met Your Mother, and it just left me with a good kind of feeling versus some other series finales that I just named. So I'm <laughs> I'm happy with how it ended. I am not missing it, but us and them, I really liked the pilot like a lot. So I was surprised that it was you know shelved and then flat out canceled because I really liked yeah. it. 
the only thing I can think of is that it must have just completely fallen on its face. Yeah, in, it had to have just broken down by like episode three. Because it definitely seemed like something that would have fit. I mean, they kind of talked about that they, I mean, some of the stories about it not getting, you know, aired or that it didn't fit with the some of the things they were doing. And I was like, um, that clearly fit with like New Girl and the Mindy Project. Yeah. They just needed yeah. another sort of show like that to fit on the night if they were uh, it it may have been sort of out there on its own as a third show uh, but you know they did some weird airings of things where they did New Girl Brooklyn Nine-Nine and then New Girl Mindy Project in that time slot so they could have rotated things through to have uh, new stuff on it at different times that was that was definitely a weird one because the pilot was very solid and it you know, on a basis of a thing, you know, like something that's coming, like A to Z, or Marry Me, or something like that. It it had yeah. that sort of romantic comedy premise to it. Uh, so I don't know, uh, but yeah, Enlisted definitely is the I think is the is the is the one that I'll miss definitely miss most out of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, lastly, NBC, believe uh, Community. Crisis, Dracula, Growing Up Fisher, Ironside, The Michael J. Fox Show, Revolution, Sean Saves the World, and Welcome to the Family. All I know what Ray's going to miss. And went. <laughs> we're not there yet. Any of these were surprised got canceled? No. Yeah, there's nothing really there that's surprisingly canceled. The one, just minutely, is Community had gone on this long that it's almost kind of surprising that it actually did end. Yeah. It had evaded cancellation so long. Yeah, and even so much so that they brought it back for this last season with the original creator after having fired him, which is a completely bizarre thing in the TV yeah. world. Yeah. And and then creatively, it was it was you know, a little all over place. Uh, it wasn't as strong as before, but definitely better than the fourth season. And I don't know, surprised at their renewals. I, I can't really think of anything this year this year nbc was more in a no, spot they where cut everything I'm, yeah where they canceled things uh that you would have possibly thought they may have kept uh in past I mean, what's years left on nbc parks and rec parenthood hollywood game night and the voice oh and about a boy well and, and Plus the Black chicago Wars. and svu and all that stuff but like but of the but of their sort of what is left nothing but everything <laughs> they canceled a lot is what I'm saying they did yeah, um, next to ABC they did have a lot of things come and go I like Crisis I, I was watching it I, I would like to see kind of how it wraps up um, I don't know if we will but I'm not I'm sad about any of that yeah there's nothing I mean. I like Community, but again, that's another show that it got a surprisingly five seasons out of it. So it's hard to say that I'll, you know, that it's that I'll miss it. You know, now that it's gone. We're talking about ones we're gonna miss now. Yeah. yeah. Um. Sorry, I thought we usually do that other one in between. Um, Wait, what renewals were you most surprised was, by? Was there a There's renewal that you were surprised by? Parenthood. Only because I'm always surprised because it well, always seems it's like true. Yeah. I've been surprised since she That's one, that's kind of surprising surprising to you although it sort of felt in the same in the same way that it felt sort of surprising that community got canceled that i would have almost been sort of surprised that it had it gone on this long that parenthood wouldn't have gone at least like what they're doing is a 13 episode you know final season where they can 
right to an ultimate conclusion to the. It's a show. I agree with that. I'm just saying yeah. that is the one. If I had to pick one, that yeah. I'm a little surprised didn't get canceled, just because I'm maybe because I'm always preparing myself for it to be canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Preparing myself for my mental since breakdown season one. <laughs> I'm glad that it'll be an ending and we won't have that mental breakdown next year. We know it's not going to come back. It's over. We to live our last couple hours with the, the Bravermans. I'm happy about that. But to, to, what shows will I miss? None. I will actually miss because Sean says the world. <laughs> really? I Nobody like else. Sean Hayes. That's all I can really say about that show. All right. I know yeah. nobody else liked it. I happen like it. And it was one of the one things I was watching on Thursday night, so I already miss it. So, I mean, you know, it's not like I was in love with the show by any means. Yeah. It's not like I was heartbroken. I didn't get I wasn't shocked. I was, whatever. But I will miss it because I liked it. Um, miss, in a very loose word, using of the word, I guess, I didn't mind the Michael J. Fox show either. Yeah, it definitely could have been better, but... And I was surprised, again, with... You know, Michael J. Fox, I was surprised that they didn't try and keep it. Um, but it's okay, because he's doing amazing work on The Good Wife, and I like him there better. All right. That's uh, the network cancellations and and uh, our shows that came to an end. There's also been a bunch of, you know, things that if There's a few things that came to the end on, uh, on cable, like Warehouse 13 and Being Human and stuff like that. But... Cried like a baby during the Being Human series, <laughs> and I haven't watched it in two seasons. But I cried like a baby. But yeah, uh, we'd like to hear from you out there. Or what you know? What are your answers to those questions? Or what what shows were you surprised got canceled? What are you surprised got renewed? Uh, what shows will you miss? Uh, let us know uh, in the show notes at tvtimes three dot com slash two twenty eight. Spell and... it all out. Oh my god, I haven't said that so <laughs> long. And uh, Amory will be back with me uh, later in this podcast uh, for the uh, reality recap uh, and also to make some uh, TV recommendations. And uh, next up, we're going to take a look back at what went on comedy-wise during this uh, past uh, season, uh, 2013-14 TV season. And uh, joining me for this segment are... Oh, hi. I'm Jason Hughes from the Antenna Free TV podcast. You can also find me over at The Wrap. Uh, and this is Joel Keller, also from the Antenna Free TV podcast. Imagine that, Jason. We're from the same podcast. Yeah. It's kind of blowing my mind. It's scary. Um, you can see me at antennafree.tv, uh, parade.com, studiosystemnews.com, indiewire.com. This could take up the rest of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, basically, whoever decides to pay me. Yes. So, And my own site, <laughs> antennafree.tv. So it's also the first site. time we've been on a podcast together that wasn't our own podcast. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, doing something uh, uh, a little different for this episode, as I mentioned in the in the opening, bringing on various uh, guests to uh, talk about various subjects from the past uh, TV season. And uh, Jason and Joel were both uh, kind enough to to join me. So, you know, Joel's used to talking to a Jason. Now he gets to talk to two for a few minutes. And uh, we'll have uh, we'll have links in the show notes uh, at tvtimes3.com slash 228, where you can find uh, many of those places that Joel mentioned <laughs> and Jason mentioned. Okay, first up, I don't know, there's a, there was a few things that sort of just stuck out to me from the past TV season. The The first thing was... Michael J. Fox and Robin Williams 
uh, you know, them created comedies with uh, some big names, uh, both of which, as we mentioned in the previous segment, got canceled (laughs) this this, uh, after one season. I don't know. What do you what do you think about uh, either those shows in general? Did you did you like them or not, Jason? And uh, and this idea of bringing on or trying to you know recreate uh, I don't know recreate the the past here with these big names coming back. Well, I mean, I had hopes that it might work because you know they are established names, but um, once they started airing, I mean, there was just all all of them felt really kind of generic and um, old fashioned. I, I guess the most forward one was maybe the crazy ones, but I mean, even you, you could throw Sean Hayes, um, Michael J. Fox. It was all very uh, '90s feeling, which uh, it just it felt like the wrong time for that kind of show to be on TV. And I didn't know where they, they were going to find an audience for something that just felt so dated in well, the modern I, era. I also don't think that TV has proven in the past you don't need a big name to. TV makes stars. They don't necessarily need star-driven shows. You know, I mean, how many big stars have been in sitcoms in the past and have failed miserably? So, you know, it. it, it I don't know why. Like, it, NBC gave a 22-episode commitment to the Michael J. Fox show, and my, and they turn around and, and they make this sitcom that had a really funny-sounding idea, and it just ended up being... Like like Jason said, very generic, uh, and maybe that's why that's why people stopped watching because it's like I thought this was going to be a little bit more edgy than what we were used to seeing. I don't know. Yeah, over the two, I yeah, I like the crazy ones a little better than, uh, and I think it it even got better as the season went along. And Michael J. Fox sort of never it it never took that idea and really went anywhere with it. It just it did feel. Of of the two, especially, and I think uh, as you mentioned that you know Sean saves the world sort of felt that same way. Like it felt very generic in that it wasn't really doing you know anything special. There was no no like, and so you there was nothing but the name to try and get you to you know to watch it. And it, it, I don't know. It, I think you're right. It TV is more of a star maker than. Nowadays, though, there are sort of vehicles being built to draw, you know, mm-hmm. like movie stars and and uh, you know and some bigger names to TV. But those are better than you know something like a generic, you know, family sitcom. Well, it, the crazy ones is a little. I mean, first of all, it started well. I mean, as far as ratings wise, I think it just kept sinking and sinking and sinking. I, the thing about the crazy ones is that it never felt like an actual sitcom. It felt like David E. Kelly took like your typical episode of Boston Legal, took all the pontific, <laughs> took all the pontificating out of it, right? Took all the pontificating out of it and squeezed it all. It squeezed it into a com, a compact twenty-two minute, funny jokery, kind of you know all the all the funny lines you would see in like a episode of Ally McBeal. Compressed into a half an hour. Yeah, with none of the none of the the closing arguments and speeches, stories. Yeah, at, 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 during well, the and that case. was that was the one that actually had a, a reasonable chance of coming back as well. I, I mean, I wouldn't right. classify it as a, a failure in the same way that 
that Sean Hayes and Michael J. Fox were. Yeah, that's right. Because it aired, it aired the whole season. It didn't get yanked. Yeah, uh, and and they looked like they were going somewhere because I think when I, my I thought it was improving. And Jason, and I talked about this on our podcast is when they added Brad Garrett. It looked oh, like it was Brad, yeah. Brad Garrett changed that show. It was someone for Robin Williams to to bounce yeah. off of. Well, yeah, because they they can both go big, and it it had you had two people being able to go back and forth uh, instead of everybody sort of watching Robin Williams do his thing. It, yeah. it kind of felt like at times, but yeah, it, it definitely it definitely was the you know it it sits there as the uh, the CBS sitcom that gets canceled, but that has an audience that would make it a hit on pretty much any other network. <laughs> you know, there's right. It was probably an expensive show to produce, though. Well, that that's true too. But if you just sort of look ratings wise, it, it each uh, you know each of the other networks. I mean, maybe ABC like Modern Family, but like nothing else that they had comedy wise would have would have reached that uh, those type of numbers. And but if you look what they're playing, putting in that spot, I think that's where they're putting the McCarthys, right? That was the only new comedy that they brought on for fall, and it's. And it's and it's a multi-camera comedy, just like the other three that are on Thursday nights. Yeah, you know, Big Bang, Millers, and Two and a Half Men. And and it and it looks just as just as bad as as sort of the Millers did in the beginning. It it can and and but but here's what happened with the Millers though, you know, I mean, first of all, any sitcom that has Laurie Metcalf in it, at least you got to give it a chance, which yeah. is what the McCarthy says, right? But the other part about it is the Millers and, – and, and actually I interviewed J.B. Smoove the other day and, and I asked him about this. It's like were you guys upset that like the critics – and Jason and I have talked about this. They were upset. You know, People just start, cited the two fart jokes in the Millers and they yeah, said and then, oh, this show's <laughs> going to be bad. That was the whole show. <laughs> That's the whole show in the pilot. For, for like the first right. three months of that show's existence, that's all it was was that fart joke show. Yeah, it was, and it was more of that everybody was – uh, it seemed to be upset that Margot Martindale would stoop so low as to do something, yeah, like, yeah. like this after after her, you know, the Americans after what yeah, she's but... done on, yeah, the Americans and Justified and stuff, and it's just like, uh, I don't know, she's got a, a an actual steady job where hey, <laughs> after <laughs> after forty years in the business, she's finally got a steady job. Oh my God, that's horrible. You know, and also it's a tour de force for her. She gets to 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 do things that she probably hasn't done in a lot of roles. So, right. you know, she's why clearly would, having fun. You can see when yeah. you watch it. And why would Will Arnett stoop to this level? Well, you can, you know, you know, rest development barely hung on, and and yeah, I would say you, you just look at and, his resume and you know, like, look at all that high quality one right. season crap. <laughs> and up all night, up all night was good, and then got torn to pieces. So maybe he's okay with. Having something a little steady, even if it's not a paycheck. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not like Greg Garcia. I mean, he's, you know, he's been responsible for, you know, the Millers and, 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 uh, Yes Dear, which were two not overly great sitcom, uh, multicams, but he's also responsible for, you know, uh, Raising Hope and, and My Name is Earl. So he's got, he's got good credentials. So it's not like this is some schlock, you know, this is not like two, this is, well, I was gonna say uh, two broke girls, but you know, <laughs> oh, well, a lot of people, a lot of that, people like Mike Patrick a show. One Yeah. Well, I think uh, just just the mentioning of two broke girls seems like a a good place to transition into the uh, the next topic of sort of some of the more terrible comedies on yeah 
on TV from the last year and and dads that sort of that, that bit, is that is the terrible comedy. <laughs> yes, the, the terrible comedy. Uh, dads and mixology uh, were I don't know the the sort of standout terrible comedies of the last season. And then there were things like see I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree because I actually enjoyed mixology. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't watch I'm usually one to be open to comedies I didn't watch one second of mixology because I just kept looking at the promos and hearing about the premise and I'm like oh yeah no I yeah. thought it was going to be terrible well see yeah. that's the but thing is is that I'm I'm one that I was interested in mixology just because it had a different premise and they were trying something new but then the first few episodes the way they were introducing the characters I hated everybody like they. I mean, if you're going to create a comedy, you got to give me some characters that I'm going to want to follow in this one night. Uh, but I, I just, you know, and some of the and some of the jokes and stuff that they were going for was just uh, very, very two broke girls in the a lot of uh, you know sexual humor that just I don't know I like that felt out of, out of place. I'll, re- I'll replace it with with We Are Men, which was easily horrible. <laughs> yeah. And back in the game. <laughs> yeah, there were well, there were these. I, to me, there were like two levels of terrible comedies. There were some that were terrible just because they were, uh, like We Are Men, or uh, that just felt like extra generic, like even more so than like something like Michael J. Fox show. It's just there wasn't there wasn't any anything interesting really premise wise or, or or anything to that. So there were some of those. There was also. Uh, I can't remember. I don't even remember the name. You know, it lasted like two episodes on NBC. Oh, welcome, welcome to the family. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, there were you know there were those things that weren't that good, and but then there were things like dads and mixology, and well, Super Fun Night was almost more into the just like poorly executed and bad. Yeah, yeah. And to me, dads and mixology were bad because the just the sort of the tired humor. And you know the some of the racial jokes and and stuff that just felt just just felt so dated, but not clever in any way. I'd throw in Friends with Better Lives too, because that show, Bad Teacher too. I mean, all those shows, you oh, know, they Bad didn't. Teacher was actually offensive. Yeah, because you watch. So yeah, you watch and. Friends of Better Lives, I mean, you watch that and it was basically dick jokes. It was, that's all it was. And it was just, or it wasn't basically, but it was just, it wasn't like, it wasn't like the, you know, we, uh, we had a discussion about this on, on the podcast this week uh, with our very special guest, which we, we can maybe mention a little bit later. But the, 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 the comedy didn't come out of the characters. The comedy came out of just gags. And it was just, it just felt, it felt, it, it felt tired and it felt exhausting to watch. You know, the better comedies, whether single camera or multicam, the characters are the ones who, you know, Big Bang Theory, almost all of the humor comes out of what those characters are and their personalities and what they, you know, and their, their, their um, likes and dislikes and peccadillos and all that kind of stuff. They don't, they don't tell gags. They don't say funny lines or clever lines. They just, you know, it's because you can laugh at, you know, and everybody loves Raymond. Remember when, like, just someone would give a look and the whole audience would be uproarious because they knew the characters. Usually, well. Raymond's dad. <laughs> yeah. So, it, none of those, none of these comedies did that. Some of them, like, um, I keep calling it Trouble with the Curve, but it's the one with James Conn. The, the, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, back it, in, it, back oh, in the, game. the game. Back in the game, yeah. Uh, that just suffered from a very bad pilot. That just it, it was digging out from a very bad pilot. It was an awful pilot. Just awful. Yeah. And because the, the episodes after that weren't as bad. Yeah, that 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 was one too. That they had the, like the one male character that that was ultimately normally in this type of setup would be her and the and him would be the characters that would fall for each other because they're so different or whatever, and they get right. off to. But they got off to such a bad start, and he was like such a misogynist, you know, like and, right. and the stuff that they had him saying that you were like, oh my god, really? This is, and we're supposed to be think he's funny right uh, and and dads did that as well and even after the hubbub about that you know being a, a great cast and from seth mcfarlane which i wouldn't given it's from seth mcfarlane i don't know why you would expect much more than kind of what we got but he, he's usually a little more clever or <laughs> subtle with his humor i also some of that stuff comes off better when you're watching animated characters say it as opposed yeah. to real people say it. And it, it just, there were too many times in some of the early episodes where you were watching uh, them and you could see them like pause for the laughter. Well, pause before they said the line, like, okay, are you ready for this one? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then they would say a line and then they would get the, well, they were basically mugging like it was vaudeville. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, and, and dads, again, suffered from a very bad pilot. But, you know, I watched like one or two episodes after and I was like, this isn't getting any better. So oh, check back in know. like halfway through the season, it was still just just terrible. Yeah. yeah it, so, it, yeah, it was still that. I mean, it had settled into a nice two broke girls groove. <laughs> yeah. And we could just going to be consistently awful. <laughs> and, by the way, you know, with two broke girls, when I don't know if you guys watched the whole season where Eric Andre was on, it became a real sitcom as opposed to just a joke machine because the stories were about, about um, Kat Denning's character's insecurity about being in a relationship, you know, that kind see, of then thing. They, then they blew all that up. Then they blew all that up and Eric, you know, and that was it. And they went back to the jokeathon, you know, and it just, I, I it actually, you know, yeah, because we talked about that a little bit, I think on our show that it was showing potential and it was, we were thinking that was what the show needed to do if it was going to anchor that night. And apparently right. by the end of the season, because I went and watched the season finale just to see if they'd kind of pulled it all together. And I hadn't watched in a few weeks. And um, and, and the sh- it was gone. All, every, the, the, the school was gone. Eric Andre was gone. And all that was left was just the same garbage spewing out of their mouths, basically. Yeah, yeah Two Broke Girls seems to be following the Two and a Half Men model of a- occasionally starting to give some character development, but then blowing it completely back up and going just reverting back to... Uh, you know the put downs and the and 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 that type of stuff and even even that's why we get shows like Dads though because those shows right. are successes. But even sitcoms in the eighties and nineties had character development. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it, it's I don't get it. I don't. It, I've never seen this brand of dumb sitcom doesn't even feel like it's nineties. Sometimes it feels like it's it's retrograde eighties because I don't even think like like they feel like bad TV land sitcoms. Yeah. I think they're inspired by animation. They're all inspired by The Simpsons. Nothing ever changes on The Simpsons. Well, hardly. <laughs> and so that's what they're inspired by is is that perpetual, eternal situation that you can establish. And as long as you stay there forever, you're always funny. Look, even Urkel grew up, you know, eventually. Yeah. Well, that's – speaking of that, that's the one – that's the one thing – while I like the Goldbergs and I'm you know, glad to see that it got another season – 
it feels like live action Simpsons in that it's just set in the eighties in general. And yeah. and while they're they're sort of telling stories about these people that are kind of following through, but there's no real connection to an actual time behind them. And so it does feel it's kinda of, it's kinda of like what happened to that seventies show towards the end. When they Where, ran out of the seventies and they just stayed perpetually in yeah. the late seventies. <laughs> so it was basically nineteen seventy nine forever in those last yeah, three or at years. least four yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> uh and nineteen seventy nine allowed them to you know, because by seventy nine people were ditching their bell bottoms and the big lapels and the bat and the weird, you know, that it allowed them to modernize the wardrobe a bit, you know. Um you know, with the Goldbergs, I think Adam Goldberg and, and I've wanted to get him on our podcast for a while because I wanted to ask him forever. He's been saying, well, the, you know, I, you know, me, it, this is me as a little kid. And, you know, the 80s, you know, everybody mixes up years when they remember the past. And, you know, he's an unreliable narrator and who cares? And this way I don't have to. His big thing was I don't have to stick to like if I picked a year, right, like say it was 1984. And then I wanted to get to something in 1989. I the show only lasts a year or two. Then you can never yeah. get to something, right? Well, and, but and here's the, the problem: who are tearing apart Mad Men? They would jump all over everything on right. that show. But here's the problem, though: as as the kids get older, especially the little kid who plays Adam, what are you going to do? How are you going to say? How are you going to make the transition of time? Yeah, I think I, you just say it's still the 80s. You just never really, unless the show's on for more than 10 years. He can probably get away with it. But don't you – I still don't think that he can conflate like Return of the Jedi with Reebok pumps, like something that came out at the beginning of the decade, something that came out at the end of the decade. Yeah. You know, That's the thing. I mean if you just look at just the movies that they've mentioned that, that he's either watched or is about to go watch or something, they've pretty much already in the first season like hit all the big ones. <laughs> so right. It's like where, where, where are you going from, from there – but at least you have – I mean they still have uh, – but on the character development front, that's that's the thing for me is I need some actual story and character development to latch onto most – you know, for the most part where you feel like you're actually following uh, these people, which is why I really liked uh, Mom yeah. this season is they – they showed like they were going to do that in the beginning and then they stuck with it and they actually had an arc of that and it didn't come somewhere along the line and they just reset it it back to uh you know the beginning they they also resisted the temptation to just make it a a, a um a showcase for uh, um uh cuz it cuz it ended up being that way in the beginning for uh Allison Janney you know because she was like taking the whole show over in the beginning of the season, and they kind of they kind of scale back on her and kind of let let everybody else let, let the other characters kind of come up. I still don't think the 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 kid the characters of the daughter or her dopey boyfriend or the little boy they're not very well developed. But at least it didn't become like the Allison Janney show by the end, which I think was was going to happen. It looked like it was happy at the beginning, which I love because she was doing great, but. Yeah. <laughs> It had to be. It had to go. It had to be more than that. I think she'll get a Emmy nomination for this. But yeah, I think they 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 you know they figured out a, a few things like making her job more just occasional. That it really was more about that mother daughter relationship and a little you know and a little bit the other you know the three generations, uh, and and the other 
they didn't develop a lot of the other characters around that, but it was okay because they were actually developing those. <laughs> do, do you think? Do you think characters? we're gonna? Do you think we're gonna see more of? Um, uh, uh, more of a. Uh, um, why did I just? His name just slipped my mind. I was gonna mention him when we talked about podcasts earlier before we turn on the microphone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, as the as the dad. Yeah, that's that. I, I'm totally blanking on his name as well. I Kevin Pollock. Yes. Kevin Pollock. Yeah. That's it. Do you think we're going to see more of him this year, next year? I I think that's possible. It definitely seemed like they were, you know, they kind of added him in more uh, towards the end of the season. That could help fill the gap of uh, dumping the restaurant, which they probably should do. Yeah, poor Nate Cordry. He never gets a break, does he? He gets a role in a regular show, and he always gets like written out somehow. Yeah. Well, I think that's. That's the one thing in the show that if it was if you didn't have like Nate Cordry and French French, French Stewart. Stewart yeah French Stewart playing those parts at the restaurant if you just had just two people that you didn't know from anything else it wouldn't feel like they're being underused it feels like you're being underused because you've seen these people do more and you know better things and so I think that takes away from that a little bit but for the most part, I, I like the core that they have there. And and again, like I said, it had it had the character development, as did uh, a couple of shows that didn't get treated so uh, nicely. Trophy uh, Wife. <laughs> Trophy Wife and Enlisted. Yeah. Uh, both. Uh, I, would, I would sort of put, you know, in all the new comedies and stuff that we got, I'd kind of put uh, Enlisted, Trophy Wife, and Mom, and... Brooklyn Nine Nine as the as as the ones that from the beginning felt pretty good and and sort of solidify themselves as being pretty solid early on in their runs. Did, but doesn't it suck watching something like Trophy Wife through the whole season, knowing that it's not going to it's doomed? It it definitely was because they just left it there to uh, to sort of languish. And, you know, seeing who, you know, all the people that were in it, and I just couldn't, looking at how, well, ABC has scheduled their Wednesday night comedy block for next year, it seems that they may have actually learned something from this season and the past couple of seasons. Maybe yes, maybe no, though. I mean, is, what, what are they putting, they're putting the Goldbergs at 8.30, which fits perfectly, right? But then they're putting Blackish at 9.30, which kind of fits. It fits more than anything else that they've that they've tried to put there i mean it fits it, it at least it's a it still fits the mold of the night of families of family comedies built around families and so from that angle it does seem like uh, because they didn't they didn't decide to put selfie or yeah. or something like that behind modern family because i mean how many don't trust the bee happy endings yeah. i mean you can go through the list of good and bad comedies right. that they've tried to put behind uh, Modern Family and and over the last two or three seasons and just nothing uh, nothing fits. But Trophy Wife was like the one. It just seemed like so perfect. Like it could have fit perfectly right in there. You know, and they never even it, tried it. Well, no. except for one rerun, they ran there one time. You know, on, yeah. on on the night, which is not trying it. it. I don't know about you guys, but it was becoming one of my favorite new comedies. I mean, I think probably right up there at Brooklyn Nine Nine. It just because by the end of the season, you really had a good sense of them as a family and everybody had good lines and you saw their personality. I just 
you know, it just it came together very well. And it probably it's probably Cougar Town syndrome. It probably suffered from a bad name. Yeah, I think it should have been picked up from by TBS, paired with Cougar Town, and just call it the Hour of Terrible Names. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or yeah. Misogyny TV or something. It, it'd be a good it'd be a good pick, like with Cougar Town going out for its last season. You bring yeah. Trophy Wife in as the new poorly named you know comedy poorly to keep going. <laughs> By the way, poorly I named quality show. <laughs> right, I guarantee you, Selfie is is not gonna is is gonna suffer from its name. Now, the 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 the, the trailer for Selfie looked horrible, but I'm hearing good things about the pilot because ABC put their pilots out. But I, I'm guaranteeing you, Selfie's gonna suffer from a bad name. Oh, I think so. Yeah. But it has an adorable lead. Yeah, 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 yeah. and an adorable lead that and a and a setup and situation that makes no sense to, no, to make all. her to make her play. She could she could play her native language and that character that way, and it would still it would almost work better. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I don't. I, I that's one of those things. I don't. That was uh, you know, well, that was one of the problems with Super Fun Night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was creating a situ- that that one had that same thing last. Why did she? Was- why did she need to be American? Why did Why did uh, Rebel Wilson have to be an American? There's no reason. There was nothing that said that she couldn't have come here to go to college and met these friends, and everything else still ended up being roughly the same uh, in the story wise. There's there was nothing that made it that they had to have all been American girls that met in college and created this. You know, their super fun night Fridays. That show suffered from a couple of things. First of all, I mean, Rebel Wilson was funny, but it it always did, it didn't really know what it wanted to do. It changed some of the characters as the season went on. Like uh, the bitchy friend, love triangle woman became more sympathetic. You know, it just and then and then they underuse people like Liza Lapira, who I always think is criminally underused in everything <laughs> she's in. You know, she's she's a gorgeous woman. They always put her in these big glasses and make her into this big nerd. You know. Wasn't she? Wasn't that the same? Like basically playing the same thing uh, with you don't less trust the <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't trust the B. Yeah. So I, I it, they just didn't. I mean, I get it, and it, I stopped watching because at a certain point, I'm just like, I hung, I hung, I hung on with that show a lot longer than most, and I because, but at the, I, I just was not. It just wasn't doing anything for me. It was like, I can't. You know, the show doesn't know it doesn't know where it wants to go at all. So it was just kind of, and they abandoned the super fun night uh, concept within like a week, I think. (laughs) And when you do that, you can be like Cougar Town and do very well, or you can be like the Mindy Project, where you're three, two years into the show, still searching for an idea. You know, I think a super fun night would have come back. It would have spent the second season still floundering to figure out a direction. Yeah. Yeah, Super Fun Night became the let's put Rebel Wilson in a in a in a in a some sort of situation and like and then we'll build the sort of the rest of the show around that. But they the rest of the show wasn't interesting, and so you got a, the occasional funny moment with her and you know some physical comedy or something, and you know the rest was hard to watch. But the other one besides Trophy Wife that just felt like. So good from, you know, right out of the gate, but yet languishing on Friday nights once they finally uh, did it was Fox with Enlisted. And then they didn't do it any any help by, well, I don't know. Networks think they're trying to help by putting episodes out of order to get episodes they think are better to play earlier to try and get people to, to like it. But 
it just makes it confusing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think it only worked in one case, and with happy endings, it actually worked because they because with happy endings, they skipped over all the episodes that kind of still still dealt with um, the two characters with their you know with breaking up and all that kind of you know the 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 whole being set up at the altar thing, and and they just skipped over to the hangout episodes, which was what people wanted. Uh, but even then, it felt weirdly out of order because they have to go back and play the other episodes at some point. But most of the time, it just doesn't work. It didn't work with "Don't Trust the Bee," and it didn't really work with uh, it. Didn't really work with with "Enlisted," and and mainly because I think the show consistently got better as the season went on. There, were, there were some episodes. Well, that's in what there kills that- it if because there's a momentum that exists in the episodes as they're supposed to air that gets destroyed when they jump them around. So then you're like, oh, this is getting better. And then you watch the next one. You're like, oh, never mind. It's not as strong. <laughs> you know, and, and I think, and I think, and as our, as the special guest we had during our podcast said, it, you know, you know, some, the reason why like Mindy project continues to, you know, thrive on the network and something like enlisted or, or surviving Jack didn't is, you know, the, the, the entertainment head, Kevin Riley either liked it or didn't like it, you know? I think that's all it is. I mean, and I think I really think he just he likes Mindy Kaling. I don't even know if he likes the Mindy Project because right. even if he does, it's a different show every four weeks. Right. So I think he just likes her. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes down to the the entertainment head, the the, pro, the guy who's doing the programming. I mean, someone talked to me the other day about uh, remember that crappy show uh, Man Up, right? That was on a couple years ago. Yeah. That Paul Lee from ABC put it on the schedule because it made him laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so he might have been the only one. See, if, if you've ever watched episodes, the uh, they, they show you how that works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Network yeah. heads can be just like, oh, I think that's funnier. They put it on. Everyone else can tell them it's terrible. They don't care. Episodes where you bring the British comedy over, and yeah. by the time you're done with it, it doesn't look anything like the thing that you said that you liked. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. But you've Americanized but, it and made it better. It, that could be that could be it. It's like you sit there and go with and listen. Well, this is such a good show. Like, why is Fox treating it like such crap? I mean, but you know, Fox treated uh, the Goodwin Games like crap last year, and it was such a good show. But it could just be that the, the guy in charge just doesn't like it as much as he likes other shows. So, and that's all there. That and that's what it comes down to. Yeah, there's got to be something to that because, but it always sort of boggles the mind in that they did actually pick it up like there were there had to have been something they liked about it in the beginning or they wouldn't have given it a a, you know a 13 episode order to to begin with and then and then you know they you know they did what they did with it a different changing time slots and on on the night and and then pulling the episodes that they're now going to air you know in in june that was the real disappointing part is because uh you know even at what the creator he mentioned it on the your podcast that you know, Kevin they, Beagle, yeah that they had pulled that they had stopped airing them but that there was talk that they were going to air them on another night you know and give them some little bit of a shot and then they just never aired them anyplace else uh, they they just held them to burn off in the in the summer and so that's like extra disappointing they didn't even get another shot on another night or uh, or anything to see if some other people. Because once people watched it, they all seemed to like it. I never heard too much of, you know, of anything bad or bad reviews for it. It it just is a a weird thing to me the way s- certain comedies they seem to not quite draw an audience, but sometimes it's because of where they're put or how they're treated by the network. 
but yet they get like the sort of like the critical acclaim, like every the, they seem to be like the little shows that people start to champion a little bit. But no one listens to us, yeah. Jason. Well, I know, that, I know, but there's it's just that that disconnect. They originally picked it up because they liked it. Everything you see when you do see something about it, it seems to be positive. But yet nobody watches it, and it just sort of goes away, and you're and you're left to going, how is how is you know enlisted leaving us, but other shows sticking around? I'd have to say one thing that I've learned doing this, and I think Jason's learned this too, and one thing we talk about in the the the, the podcast all the time is that we as critics think we have more influence than we actually have, and and doesn't matter how many critics say Trophy Wife or Enlisted are really good. If they're not getting the audience and the the executive doesn't like it or ends up not liking it, it's doomed. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why, you know, the Big Bang Theory gets 25 million. You know, it's not just because people are too lazy to turn off their TVs. You know, there's something about the show that people a lot of a lot of people like. So, you know, just because critics and just because critics don't like I mean, like it or don't like it, it, it really doesn't matter. It It's never bad. Critics are basically we're all film school snobs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think two and a half men sh- shows that from the other side is that that's been critically hated since its inception, pretty much. And it's, you know, was the biggest comedy on on TV for a long stretch of time. You know, so yeah, so it it, it goes both. It does sort of go both ways, whether a critic. Hate, hate something or or like something doesn't help it or or doom it either way really that much i, I know people who actively uh do the opposite of whatever critics say because they <laughs> like those big broad shows and they say if the critics love it then i'm gonna hate it and if the critics say it's garbage it's probably gonna be a lot of fun and then that's yeah. how they make their decisions well i've always been a, a proponent of you find critics that you sort of align with in certain ways like you find somebody that the comedies they like, you know, you also tend to like, so you take their word on comedies. But you know, drama-wise, they may not, you may not have the same taste. I, I don't know. I kind of use the, your critics that way, uh, somewhat, where you kind of find a, a like mind for a certain genre of uh, of either movie or TV or something. Because if you just go, I mean, there's been lots of you know <laughs> movies and TV shows that that do get that you know that critical acclaim and and then I I watch it and I go I don't get it. You know, it's like I don't yeah. know, I, I, what 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 is so great about this? I don't I don't understand. Yeah, there's we've we, there's chapter and verse on that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, you know, I, I one of one of the things that we talk about all the time too is that it, it's kind of a shame that critics don't talk about the most popular shows. I mean, I know why they don't talk about them. Because it, what's to talk about with NCIS? Because it's the same thing every week. What's to talk about? You know, Mark Harmon. Yeah, I mean, but it, it does. I think viewers a disservice because you know you keep harping on Louis, which is a great show, and you think Louis can do no. You start you start thinking Louis can do no wrong, you know, and also the fact you know, and and, and pretty much the vast majority of people in the United States are not watching Louis. You know, or or girls, or any of those shows, and you would think that that the critics would want to talk about the shows that, oh gee, I don't know, you know, uh, the vast, you know, a quarter of the, you know, or or a a third of the or a fifth of the TV watching public is actually watching, instead of something that less than a million people are watching, or at least occasionally check in on some of those, uh, yeah, and yeah. add them into the rotation along with the 
the sort of the prestige comedies or prestige you think it would dramas. Up their own traffic and revenue. Yeah, who knows? But it doesn't happen. So yeah, because there are. I mean, I mean, in this day and age, there are sites that are pretty much just recapping everything uh, that's that's going on, and and you know, plenty of people out there looking for things about you know NCIS and and you know, and Big Bang Theory and all these these shows that get the that in this day and age actually do get those you know in the into the high teens to early 20 millions of of viewers sometimes uh and you know nothing else is is touching that but meanwhile you have things like girls and louis and you know mad men and stuff like that get a lot of the uh all the think pieces and all the writing about but yet you know mad men's that show that a million to two million people watch it, yeah. you know, on a on a given week, and uh, and yeah, it just uh, some yeah some of those things don't make sense either. But uh, to move to uh, a couple other comedies that are also on Fox this year, uh, one of the other things that stuck out to me was how New Girl was really good in its second season, and especially towards the end, and that. This year, the Mindy Project in its second season, I think, got really good by the end. But yet, this was the third season for New Girl, and they completely lost their way. And I was wondering, what what do you guys think of uh, that? What do you think, Joel? Well, Mindy Project, it got good towards the end, but it, at the beginning, it was still a mess. I mean, you know, they, they, they bring on, you know, J- James Franco and he's there for two episodes and, you know, they, they still don't, they still have 3 million characters. They don't know what to do with. I think when they finally realize it, it's about the workplace and it's about um, really kind of about the, the, the core characters of Mindy, uh, uh, Danny, you know, Chris Medina's character and, and Adam Pally's character with a little bit of, of Ike, Ike Barinholtz mixed in. I think they finally got it. Um, but I still think it it could go come back next year and be lost again. That's how tenuous it is. And with New Girl, I think the Jess the Jess uh, um, uh, Nick. Thank yeah. you. Where's my brain? The Jess Nick thing. I, I like the fact that he threw them together, but I think what they did was it just too it just took too up too much of the momentum of the show of the of the ensemble. It there was too much of a concentration on those two. Well, and that's exactly the part you you nailed it with the word concentration because when they were putting them together, the whole arc up to that was perfect, and it worked. And even having them get together worked. And then it's as if they sucked all of the creative energy out of the writers' room and put it just on those two, whatever they could do. And right. as an ensemble show, it just destroyed it. The other characters just basically broke out of orbit and started floating around. And and what made the show great, which was that cast together. They just had blown up without even realizing they'd done it. They literally shipped Schmidt off to another apartment. <laughs> I yeah. mean, they took Which the one character. you would think ca- was close enough because he was just across the hall. <laughs> right. But you, they took the one character that really broke out the season before or even by the end of the first season. And they just – and and he was starting to develop they, oh, they you know, something. Him. Yeah. So – and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, as much as I love Damon Wayans Jr., I love that he's back as coach. It became a lot of people having to service a lot of people in the story. You know, it, it, it's a cast of six six people, right? Yeah, including uh, Hannah Simone, right? So, 
That's a lot of people in a sitcom. That's a ton of people in a sitcom. Works for Friends. <laughs> if you do it right, it can work. Yeah, they did a good job on, on something like Friends of, of you know, mixing it around from from week to week. I think the other thing that happened with New Girl is that when they focused on Nick and Jess, they had no idea of what to do with them, and so they sort of they instantly kind of ran out of steam with that, and so now the thing that was sort of the core and taking away from uh, the other, you know, using the other characters wasn't good like it was in the buildup uh, at the end of the, at the end of the second season. And then you add coach in and it's like, now you've added in another character when you already had Winston that you didn't know what to do with. <laughs> and, and and now you're giving yourself a whole nother character to, uh, to have to deal with. But I mean, I would say that, that, that New Girl had its moments this past year. It just wasn't – it just had reached such a high watermark in the second season. Yeah, there was no consistency on – and that you could go from an episode that had something good uh, to, like, the next week just being like, what are they doing? But it looks like they've blown the whole thing up and tried to re- – and, and they're going to try to reset it for the fourth season to make it more of everybody oh. together hanging out again. Well, it couldn't so, hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just – it's – yeah. It, it's – when they were together, it was it would start out okay. It just and then when they were breaking up, it was painful too. It just and it never felt like it was it 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 never felt right for the show. It just didn't, and that's not a good thing when your show is hanging on by the skin of its teeth, rating wise. It it went down a lot this year, so I don't know if people are going to come back to it. I, the fourth season, you know, it, it, the only reason why it's hanging on is that Kevin Riley likes the show. I mean. <laughs> Because that those ratings would get it canceled anywhere else, even NBC. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it be, I mean, I watched through the the rest of the season, but it became one of the shows like last season that you were you would most be looking forward to. To oh, I'll get to it. Yeah, uh, and, and that's that's not a good. Uh, uh, that's not a good. Any thoughts on either of those shows, Jason? I I interjected all over the place, so I think I made my. That's yeah. what I do. Yeah, it's what I do. I just interrupt. Joel, Joel had to learn how to put up with it. <laughs> he needs to. That's all right. Even though it's they're you know completely different creative teams, it just I have you mentioned the Mindy Project being sort of in a tenuous state. I kind of like yeah, I like where they went. It seems that they figured something out, but that also is what felt like New Girl felt like last year, and I. I hope that Mindy Project actually has uh, figured out what they're going to do and kind of stick with that in the next season. Uh, instead of going back to, like you mentioned earlier, it being a completely different show like every handful of episodes. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think if you watch the first season, especially the pilot, you won't recognize the show at all when you think about it. So it's like it's, like it's, it's, it's been like four different shows in, in two years, right. at least, maybe six or seven. <laughs> I think it's been more than that. It's been four different shows this year, and yeah. it was like ten the first year. I mean, they've gone through a whole bunch of people of who've sort of been regular cast and then, uh, you know, disappear. You're just like, you know, it's like it, the show started out. Mindy had a best friend, you mm-hmm. know, a female best friend, but you know, now all of a sudden she doesn't really. Yeah, it's yeah. So a lot of those things where people are there and then they they disappear and. And they try something they need to else. do an episode to tell the sad story about her best friend, how her best friend died, because that <laughs> right. must be what happened. Right. 
exactly. So uh, I think adding adding Adam Pally was a good idea because they actually made this character into something. So that yeah. helped. Yeah, at the beginning of it, you were just like, "Oh my god, another another person yeah. you have to deal with." But he actually sort of became the Mindy's best friend type character, right? Uh, right. And, and and that's that's actually started to work too towards the end. So if, you know they can kind of stick with that uh, dynamic going going forward, but. Sort of under the same as the poorly treated comedies of things like Enlisted. Uh, there's also the the shows that either get put till you know way late uh, in the season. Granted, things like Bad Teacher and those types of things getting you could see why they were sort of hung out. Uh, but then, but then you get like Surviving Jack. Yeah, but then you, <laughs> yeah, you have things like Undateable or or Surviving Jack that people seem to like. That have seen that have seen it, that Undateable is getting sort of a push now that it's going to air in the summer, you know. But it's going to air, you know, a couple episodes a week, so it's only going to air for a handful of weeks. It feels like they're almost doing what they did with things like Bent and Best Friends Forever, except that they actually have more episodes of this. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it's it's about time that um, the networks embrace the idea of actually possibly having summer shows that are comedies because they're starting to do recurring summer shows that are dramas. So why can't that work with a comedy? I'm not saying that undateable couldn't, if it does well, move up to the fall, but if they don't trust it there or don't want to move it up, then why can't it, if it does well, why can't it just stay on the summer and come back every summer and be a 13 episode a year show? Yeah. I mean, I, I, by the way, I also think undateable because it's a multicam is going to need it's going to need a bunch a lot of push from the network and I don't know hopefully that'll happen I'm not sure we we I'll mention that we had Bill Lawrence on the podcast this week that was the special guest I teased a couple of times and you love uh, to tease he, things I do love to tease and he did say that he does hope that um he does think that NBC's going to commit be, commit to the show you know and, and put some effort behind it uh, because it's a summer season show because they, they thought at the time that not everybody was going to program against it. And then they found out that everybody's programming against it. But, you know, it's paired up with – it's going to be paired up with uh, Last Comic Standing, you know, and, and, you know, let's see what happens. You know, so it just – I don't know how much – how much – how big of a rating they really need to pick it up again for another season. It's multi-camera. It, it's not that expensive, you know. Why, you know, it's got Bill's name behind it. Why not? That's why I think that they need to keep their mind open to doing it as an other short run. It doesn't have to be able to compete during the regular season. Because if you want to go to this year-round model, you need something in the summer too. It's funny enough where I think it could be in that – it could be in that super sub position where they just kind of hold it and either put it in the summer or put it if some other show fails. That could be that one. This it could be one yeah, of those kind of shows. Yes, dear. Uh, Till death, want a show? Yeah, that type of thing. Uh, or you know, uh, rules of engagement. Yeah, yeah. which That's also happened to have. Which also happened to have Bianca, K Kajish Kaj. I don't know. I'm sure you're saying it right. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean that one's one of those that you hear about, and I've been looking forward to it for like almost a year now. It seems like. And so, I'd definitely be interested to see it. I at least it will get a few weeks for people to actually possibly find it. And you know, hopefully, I, I like the idea of there being some more. You know, even though 
there's a lot more scripted stuff from the cable networks uh, in the summer. Uh, I would like to see some more scripted stuff from the broadcast networks, you know, over the summer that's not repurposed uh, necessarily. Not that all of those are bad, you know, the repurposed Canadian shows and and stuff. You know, there's a lot of people that love the Ricky Blue, but that's why I like, you know, like, gang related you know fox and then also with fox running 24 into the summer of giving you know there actually being some other stuff besides the america's got talents and the bachelorettes and all these other reality uh, you know so you think you can dance type of things that have filled the networks over the over the course of the summer over the last few years well, I mean, there there is a great comedy on during the summer. It's called Under the Dome. I don't know if you saw it. <laughs> it's yeah, hilarious. Uh, Joel and I, Joel and I, dubbed that the the best comedy of last season. <laughs> Definitely last summer. That best comedy of last summer. Oh, uh, it it did have some of the funnier moments on TV last year. So that's that's yeah. that's definitely true. And it's back. It's coming, it's back. It's coming back. And, and well, my wife oh, and I will be I watching. Can't wait it. to laugh. So yeah, we man. need a good laugh in the summer on Mondays. Yeah, under the dome doesn't even fall under really under the hate watch because it's it's not that you it, it's just kind of dumb in a, in yeah. a lot of places and and it does make you laugh at at times at just the absurdity of of some of the stuff that's going on, but uh, of absurd things that I think that they do where you know you do something like enlisted gets at least a little bit of a shot, but they had something Fox also had us and them which the pilot looked good. Apparently, what they saw of the next few episodes didn't look so good, so they cut the order and then never showed it at all. What in the hell show is that? <laughs> it's uh, it was us it's and them. The it, Gavin and Stacey. It, yeah, it was. It was the U.S. version of Gavin of the British comedy Gavin and Stacey. It had uh, Jason Ritter, and uh, I'm blanking on her name. She played the daughter on Gilmore Girls uh, as the you know the romantic couple of the of the show, and it just. Uh, it, it it was one of those that just never even never even got a shot. Alexis Bladell. Yeah, Joel should have come up with that. Gilmore. Yeah, no, I, I, I was wait, I was waiting. Uh, yeah, well, remember the NBC had a Dane Cook uh, sitcom that they made a few episodes of, and then they decided not to air it either. I think that was this year. So, um, although these these seasons starting to blend together a little bit, yeah. you know. I, I, it, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And, and Fox is probably going to have more of those situations now that they've decided to do a lot more uh, straight-to-series orders rather than do pilots. So I don't know. I guess it's just you roll the dice on some of these shows. Yeah, it's yeah, weird, but – Yeah, I guess so. There's Sometimes there's no telling. I You, you kind of look and wonder how many how many good shows there are that, that just got shelved, never even got, <laughs> never even got out, but yet – well, for some reason, somebody at a network didn't think it, you know, didn't like it or didn't think it would be good. It would have. I mean, how many shows that you think are not going to be good end up being ratings hits? Uh, it's such a crapshoot, I think, with and anymore with there's no telling really what uh, based on, you know, production costs and where it's from, whether you own it yourself or you're buying it from another production company or the stars involved uh, you know what something costs, and what the what kind of ratings these days something actually needs, because like various shows are different. You know, which is why something like you know, I'm sure the crazy ones, while doing relatively well, was way too expensive even for that type of uh, numbers uh, to do. And uh, lastly, 
There were some comedies that, uh, some that we knew were coming to an end, and then others that, well, in the case of Community, we've basically been thinking that's going to come to an end since its first season. Mm-hmm. Did anybody else seem more optimistic that it was actually going to get a sixth season than any other time previously, just because it actually had gone so long that it was like, why give up now? I thought it would. Yeah, same here. I, I, I thought it would be like another 13-episode short run, but, you know, why not trot it yeah. out for one last hoorah? It's not like – plus, nothing else was working on NBC comedy-wise, so I didn't, well, yeah, but I didn't M- think of them blowing up the whole night. Right. I think that's what we didn't see coming was that NBC was just going to say we're, we're, we're destroying their, our comedy on Thursdays. So Yeah, because how many yeah. decades have they been doing it? <laughs> right. Well, like a decade now of not getting any traction. Right. So I well, think, true. you know – I, I kind of think the general rea- reaction is, though, not not from the diehards who are always going to want more community and they're going to want that show on forever. But I think that the reaction of most people who, who aren't the diehards, who, who are fans of the show, are, are, you know, once they realize it wasn't getting that sixth season, at least not yet, they're like, oh, my God, it actually lasted for five seasons. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh my God, and, oh, my God, Dan Harmon got fired and then he got – and then he came back and it ended with, with, you know, with him being on board, you know, they lost Donald Glover and the show actually was still good. You know, it, it it's, it, they, they should be very, they should be very happy about the way that show turned out because it could have gone so many, it could have ended so many different bad ways. They could have ended at the end of last oh, yeah. year. Yeah. So Ooh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, yeah. it's like the, the, they should stop being so greedy is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think that, I think that's the case. Even something like Raising Hope in that that same spot, you know, you look at it, you go, but you got four full seasons oh, no. of the show. Raising Hope that ran its course. Yeah, yeah. But you got four full seasons of the show that ratings wise should have never really even made a second. Uh, there right. was no right. reason that the you know that they that they had that they should have picked the show up. What I respect about the Raising Hope decision was it felt like they genuinely had four seasons worth of legitimate story to tell. And then the show was kind of winding down and they could have just started repeating themselves or getting really dumb with it. And instead, they get canceled and they go away. And what's left is four quality seasons of comedy. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's I mean, there's a, nothing to be unhappy about for fans. I mean, it was a, a good run. There's nothing that says that something has to run on and on and on forever. Like, say, I don't know, How I Met Your Mother. I Met Your Mother. Yes. <laughs> Which, yeah. What, what a great five, six season show that could have been. <laughs> Yeah, it had five years of story in nine seasons. So that's the bad thing. That's a problem. Yeah, well, I I think that does be, there there does come a certain point in a in any show where you start to need to know like a definite a definite endpoint. I mean, especially if you're something like an NCIS, you know, you can keep going and going and going with the the way those types of things. But you know, something with where there's an obvious kind of endpoint to a story. And especially with something like this, you said, hey, <laughs> this how I met the mother type of thing. You need to to have some sort of an endpoint because it just kept – as they would start to write towards something, then they would go, oh, we want to have you back for another season. Also, the odd thing in that How I Met Your Mother was the show that was on the bubble for like the first four seasons and then all of a sudden became yeah. the show that they wouldn't let go of. Oh, we we could do another hour on how I met your mother, Jason. Seriously, we could do a whole another hour on that. I, I think I yeah, that's definitely uh, that's definitely probably true. But 
that that was the other one. And the other one that ended uh, was uh, Suburgatory, which which I liked, but I think lost its way this season. And you know, yeah. and so it wasn't That's exactly what happened. Wasn't really disappointed to see it get canceled because they didn't. They tried to do a hard reset after the second season because they didn't like the direction it was going, which I thought was fine. The direction it was going, I didn't mind it. I was enjoying the twists and turns. So they tried to do a hard reset back to the first season and ruin the show. And it had a really bad third season. <laughs> you you take all that character development and you just flush it down the toilet. Well, and, but one of the things right. about Suburgatory that never I never bought into was. The character of Tessa being being in love with 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 the character of Ryan. It just I don't know why they did that. Oh, I don't yeah. know why she kept pining for him. You know, and how it did that become the great love story of the entire series? Yeah, I, I could see it as a as a, a high school fling, and she realized he's a tool. Moved her. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they kept harping on that, and that kind of brought the show down for me a little bit. So I, I don't know. I was yeah, sad there was, to say I was happy to see it go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were some decent moments in the season, but I wasn't that disappointed to see it go. Yeah. I think I actually still have like the last handful of episodes just sitting on the, sitting on the DVR that I may or may not get to, you know, it's, it, especially now that it you know that doesn't it's get not, better. <laughs> yeah. Especially now that you know that it's not coming back, you know, so it's not like you're going yeah, to you ca- catch up to be ready to see where they start back up in a new season. Uh, they they may just, uh, uh, even though there's less things to watch over the summer, it, they still may just get deleted off the <laughs> off the. Oh, and oh, hey, well, let's marry off two seventeen-year-old characters too, that which I don't sense. get. Doesn't make any sense. I, I don't. I don't get that. Uh, well, how did, that that seems to be a that's a TV trope that gets used uh, way more than you would ever think in both dramas and comedies, uh, where. They have the, I mean, there was the the Reba show that 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 was a whole plot of it was that uh, the two teen characters got married and had a kid in in high school. I, I live in the heartland of America, and that doesn't even happen all that often out here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that's a weird. Uh, it's kind of a weird thing that some TV shows seem to go to. That, and to me, it does always feel, uh, it does always feel weird, but. I think we've kind of uh, run the course, and and even way more than uh, <laughs> even way more than I originally asked you guys to 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 come on with before. But uh, you know, thanks both of you for uh, joining me for this segment of uh, of our 2013-14 recap. I can't wait to download this six-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh... It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it, yes, it's the it's the recap of all recaps, and. Uh, I'll have links in the show notes uh, where you can find both uh, Jason and Joel and uh, their podcast, and especially uh, you know to look out for the interview uh, with uh, Bill Lawrence. I'm sure you guys talked to plenty about Undateable, among other things. Yeah, I always talk about because and because Bill is such a reticent guy and shy and doesn't like to. Talk. <laughs> you really had to pull things out. That's try, true. Try and pull things. Oh, out. Yeah, we're difficult. Just so difficult. We're like, come on, Bill. Yeah, it was hard. Speak yeah. up. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have those links in the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 228. And uh, next up, we turn our attention to some of the network dramas from the 2013-14 TV season uh, with a look back at the at first season shows The Blacklist and Sleepy Hollow and uh, returning favorites The Good Wife and Scandal. And joining me for this segment are... 
Kyle Nolan from NoReruns.net. And Mo Ryan uh, from Huffington Post TV, uh, at Mo Ryan on Twitter. That contains all the links to my stuff. <laughs> the the one-stop easy shop. one-stop, exactly. <laughs> to, to Rather than give you a bunch of you know lines of URLs, let's just do that. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you both for uh, joining me for this segment of the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks. All right. So first up. What do you think it is about the blacklist that kept the uh, it kept audiences coming back all season? Uh, well, I think it was James Spader. You know, I mean, I, pr- I probably saw I don't know like about a third of the episodes of the season because my mom watches it. So whenever I was over there, it seemed to be on. Um, and I watched a few out of just out of interest for myself. And um, I think it's a pretty you know it's a decent procedural of that sort of sort of like the thriller action, you know, uh, week to week adventure sort. But um, if it didn't have, if it wasn't anchored by James Spader, I don't know that there's anything else there that I would have, you know, returned to and watched. I I mean, I, again, I don't like count myself as a huge fan. I I think it maybe takes a little too much advantage of the Spader-ificness of it all. Um, But it's it's fine. I mean, I I get why it works, you know. I mean, if you, the thing is, the network try this all the time they try let's get a big well-known star and put that person on a show well look at the michael j fox show look at sean saves the world maybe comedy is a little different but you see it in drama as well every year uh a drama crashes and burns that stars you know famous very talented actors so this is just one of those times where it seemed to strike a chord with the audience and therefore the lights stayed on at at, at nbc (laughs) so what do you think kyle yeah yeah, so for me, they seem to know whenever I was starting to lose interest and then do something really big. Because, like, that mid-season, I was about ready to just quit the show, and then they had that great, like, double-episode mid-season episode, and then I had, like, renewed interest. And then, again, I was starting to lose interest, and then something else big happened. So I, I think it it has like elements both of the procedural that gets people interested that that audience and then it also had that ongoing mystery of like is he the father or is he not even though they deny it but he probably is and so they had that ongoing thing and then also the husband is he evil is he not evil like right. how evil is he so they they had enough mystery there to to get like the mythology type of audience as well as the procedural type of audience yeah, that's a great explanation. Yeah, I think it. I think it's probably mostly Spader, but I think that performance, and then there was enough stuff around the show that mm-hmm. was an, enough interesting that you know he kept you coming back in the early goings, so that you and then you if you started you know you watched a few episodes, then maybe one of these other things hooked you uh, as well as just the. Uh, as just the performance, I think by the end of the season, they had finally developed a f- couple of the other characters mm-hmm. more than just uh, Spader. Uh, they still could do more with some of the other investigators. I mean, one of them gets killed off at the end of the season and it's like you didn't really you didn't know anything about her. So it wasn't like a huge you didn't have any huge you know connection with that character. But I liked her on ER. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, you didn't have any connection with her from <laughs> from the blacklist. No, I mean I totally agree with you. I mean I think um, 
I think the episodes that I saw probably were from the first half to first two thirds of the season, and the the rest of the characters were so functional. Like they just didn't like there wasn't a whole lot going on. Like again, like if you had taken that show and put someone with less innate charisma, less ability to hold the screen, that central role. Uh, there would have been absolutely nothing there. And I think the thing is, the networks that keep trying that, like even someone who's uh, wonderful as Gillian Anderson, you know, in Crisis, like it just wasn't... It, I, I think that the combination of Spader with this particular material, he plays these kind of oily people who are kind of nevertheless enjoying the fact that they're kind of douchey. Um, so uh, he plays those kind of characters really well, and it was competent enough that it kind of got in that realm of um you know cbs procedural and i don't say that as a as a dig i mean it just it was good enough to kind of keep keep you going yeah and there's a bit of the over the top and campiness that he has whereas like you said with with julian anderson that's just more of a serious role like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it gives you that extra like you want to watch him just have fun with the role where she's playing it so seriously that yeah, I think that was my big problem with some of these one-word shows that kept happening, like Hostages and Crisis and uh, Believe. They were just sort of dull and took themselves way too seriously. It's like if you're going to do something that's essentially heightened melodrama with some twists and turns and thriller elements, just have a good time with it, you know? Yeah. So. Speaking of which... <laughs> what, Mo, Great what, transition too. <laughs> Mo, what did you think when you first heard about uh, Sleepy Hollow? I thought it sounded terrible. <laughs> I mean, that's that has got to be. Sometimes you just read a description, you just put your head in your hands and go, "Really? Come on now!" But I, you know, one thing I do know from experience is that the one sentence description of most of my favorite shows of all time is terrible. You know, like they're going to redo Battlestar Galactica or she's a teen detective. It's like, you know, they're terrible. Like they just sound awful when you reduce them down to that. Um, and when I saw the pilot, you know, it's funny cause like I'm starting to do this again um, with a new batch of pilots. I just watched one today. So when you watch a bunch of pilots, you kind of just get in the zone where after a while you don't know if they're good or bad anymore. You just know <laughs> you watched it. <laughs> so, so I watched it once and I was like, I could be delusional, but I, I, I really enjoyed that. They seem to have the proper mixture of humor and wit and taking the character dilemmas seriously and character development and adventure and craziness. So I was like, I like that. So then I watched it again before I wrote my review in September and I was like, okay, that wasn't a fluke. I liked it again. So, was, <laughs> so when I read that, when I wrote my first review, but I was like, you know how that is. It's like, well, I've seen one. I, I liked it a lot, but uh, this is the exact kind of thing that could be terrible down the line. Like it could fall apart within seconds. But um, I think there were some wobbles early on. But I think once the midpoint onward, I think the first season was really tight, really fun. I enjoyed it so much. How about you, Kyle? Yeah, so for me, when I first heard of it, like, my first vision when I hear Ichabod Crane is that Disney cartoon. So I'm thinking, (laughs) this does not have the makings of, like, a sci-fi action TV series when you got the little nerdy Ichabod Crane guy from the Disney movie. Uh, But then after I watched the pilot, I absolutely loved it. Like, I didn't think it was too crazy i love the humor like all that out of place uh humor and then uh and then i just really enjoyed it and then like 
like uh, the special effects. I think it was like right in that first episode when John Cho's character suddenly like like flips on it, like is walking like backwards or whatever. It was just like or his necks turned around. Like I I just thought it was nice and weird and and it had humor and action and sci-fi and I was hooked. Yeah, for me looking back, I remember. It probably was in watched in a long line of other pilots, you know, like where it was it, where you're not quite sure. But I remember Sleepy Hollow being the one show that I I watched, and I was just like, "Huh, I don't know. I don't know whether I don't like it or not." It it's so more than like any other uh, last year seemed to hinge on where exactly they were going to go. Like, there's the scene in the first episode where you have the headless horseman with a automatic machine gun. And I was like, are we going to go like complete absurdity this, this direction, or are we going, are we going to try and take it a little bit seriously? And it was, I guess it was hard for me to tell like where uh, exactly they were going to go, but you know, but a few episodes in, once you got a chance to watch uh, and see more what it was going to be, you really liked uh, I did, you know, you really liked the, the two leads. They worked really well to off of each other. I, I, I like these type of shows in general where you take some sort of fiction and meld it with his, some sort of history. And this does that, you know, a, a lot. But I think they take it just seriously enough, mm-hmm. but not overly, you know, not overly seriously. Like they even recognize within the show like how ridiculous some of the stuff is that they're dealing with. Right. But I I think it does a good job like Fringe did of putting people in situations that when you describe them seem completely ridiculous, even to them. But the torn loyalties, the relationships, the complex friendships or um, family relationships, those are real enough. You know what I mean? So we can all identify with those kinds of dilemmas and personal issues um, and then everything else can be fantastical as long as those aren't necessarily played for laps, laughs. But I totally agree with you that I think um, it's really rare for a show to be a lot of fun and yet you care about the characters to the degree that I did here. I mean, even Supernatural, which I love, um, it'll have its joke episodes, but it's generally fairly, you know, the tone is fairly serious or like they'll make wisecracks and, and be sarcastic, but it's not really even as sort of jaunty as Sleepy Hollow can be. Um, but I think that suits the time. I think it suits what they're th- you know trying to do with, with Ichabod's character and making him into this noble um, kind of revolutionary who's moral and, and upright and all these things. I mean, to me, one of the scenes that sort of encapsulates the appeal of the show is um, they're setting up a trap for the horsemen in that lair, that underground lair, and they're talking about Thomas Jefferson and slavery, which I, I like the fact that there are multiple characters of color on that show. Like, there's not just, like, the one token person, which is what so many shows do. So it comes up when it seems appropriate, and then it doesn't come up, you know, other times, because it's not the only thing that defines anyone. And... Um, so they're talking about it and kind of jokingly, kind of seriously, but I'm like, I just remember thinking in that moment, what other show would do this combination of things and actually pull all of them off and not appear to break a sweat? You know, that yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that really pleased me a lot. And I just love it when a new a show comes along that's doing something just so different from whatever everyone else is attempting and actually nailing it. 
a sort of serious subject comes up in the midst of something completely, you know, kind of absurd, but in this world that they've created, you totally buy all of it. Yeah, I mean, you do, you do, and that's. I think that they did. The smartest thing that they ever did was uh, two things. The casting of the show is superb, right down to the supporting characters. I mean, but the two leads, uh, Nicole Bahari and Tom Meissen, I think they just have natural chemistry that you cannot, you, know, you can't buy that, you can't replicate it, you can't make it happen. They just have a great chemistry that makes me feel invested in wherever their relationship goes, and there's a lot of ways it can go. Um, but then also making character development really key to each of those people. So to me, it's a story about two people under a lot of pressure in situations that are confusing and dangerous and relying on each other. So like there's a really very hard or I guess firm core that allows all these crazy things to kind of spin off of that and actually become evocative in their own right when you know there are these spooky situations happening it can be kind of scary or sad or whatever um even the the situation with the the mud man that ended up being kind of sad you know um so it's very strange that they're able to balance this mixture of humor and adventure and action and then also the, the the dilemmas but i think the core of it is so solid and firm that they can um, hopefully expand on it well next season, although I'm a little nervous about the expanded season. I think brevity is the soul of wit sometimes, yeah. but we'll just have to see how that works out. Yeah, I was really nervous when they... I was so happy when they announced another season of 13 episodes, and now that they've expanded out to either, what is it, 16 or 15? But it's I haven't, I haven't just really heard like a specific number. I... They've been really waffly on the number, and that actually makes me nervous as well because it's like if if you're a showrunner, you have to be able to plan how things will arc out. And if I just feel like we're going to get those one or two or three episodes in the middle of the season where they didn't know how many episodes they were going to get, so someone was assigned to just go write a, like a mostly a standalone. And you know how it is with shows of this nature. Uh, the same is true of Fringe and Supernatural and the X-Files, too. Like, sometimes the standalones are great. Sometimes they're just time killers because they yeah. just, you know, didn't, yep. <laughs> couldn't get back to the mythology that week or whatever. Yeah, whatever they hopefully decide on, whether it becomes 15, 16, or 18, I just hope that they figure that number out. I agree with you completely. As they go into production so that they know – because this, this show so seems to depend on – uh, you know, just the way it kind of arced out for the first season that mm-hmm. I can't imagine them having to just like be arcing something out and then they'd be like, oh, we need you to expand the season by a couple more. And so you exactly figure out something in the, you know, towards the end, but in the middle type of thing to do uh, that would that would sort of put a, a little bit of a damper uh, on things. But Mo, you mentioned uh, one previously, but I. Uh, what were some of your favorite parts or scenes from uh, the first season? Um, you know, I loved those. Like, now I'm going to forget their name. The women in the tent that all spoke as one voice. They were super creepy and weird and, you know, kind of I, – I love that when, like, they can kind of bring these new pieces of the mythology in and they're, they're appropriately scary. Um, when the horseman was talking through John Cho's character, that was so great. You know, it was just really, again, like it was a good, scary movie, but it was the kind of scary movie where you cared about what would happen and what would, what, who the people were and, you know, how they related to each other. 
Um, so I'm just trying to think what else. Um, just so many moments between um, Ichabod and Abby when they were just talking. Um, I actually liked uh, Abby's sister a lot, too. I liked some of the sister moments. I mean, there, there was also that moment where John no every scene that John Noble was in, let's just say that as a blanket thing. <laughs> he was he always brings such great gravity and such feeling to his scenes and such intensity, you know, that I I loved and I loved the reveal about his character. That was so great. Like this I loved the finale, you know, I've just this past week I did a couple podcasts of my own and also wrote about um, you know, the Americans finale, Arrow finale. Um you know, Mad Men's finale. I love when a finale just goes in a direction you didn't expect at all, but makes total sense within that world and then sets up some cool new things. And I think that the Sleepy Hollow finale did that absolutely without a problem. How about you, Kyle? Yeah, so for me, I think some of my favorite moments were all like the fish out of water type of moments where he, like, especially the, the OnStar moment was absolutely. Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't mention that. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> that was by far my favorite moment. Oh, that was so great. I just wanted him to go back and talk to her again. <laughs> if, they, if, if they have a filler episode, if they want to do one with just him and the OnStar woman, I'm fine with that. that <laughs> you're right. That to me was the moment when I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm so glad i gave this a positive review <laughs> yeah there were there were some of the yeah some of the more comic moments uh like and you know like the the on star moment i liked where he he comes upon the war reenactors and is it for a second isn't sure whether he's back in the past or or in in the present day uh until he starts to school them on <laughs> what they actually wore and they actually did. And they're really cranky about it. <laughs> I do not like that. Uh, at all. That was the skinny jeans moment for sure. <laughs> yeah. The, the skinny jeans, uh, that just, just sort of that whole, like the montage of sort of the reverse of, of doing a makeover type of, of moment exactly. in, in a show. That was, that was pretty good. One of my other favorites was when, uh, he's leaving a voicemail, but he leaves the voicemail with the same way he would have written a note, you know, exactly. like, like faithfully yours, Ichabod Crane or something like that, the way he signs off. It was all those little moments that they, I mean, they really, I, I thought they took, you know, very good care in, in creating a lot of those, those moments. But I also liked a lot when he, when he would like hear something and be like, that's not how it happened you know, type of thing from uh, looking back at, at history or he would, tell you of what was really going on uh, during some historical event that he, it was actually a secret cover for something. That right. Oh yeah, of. exactly. <laughs> and isn't that exciting? You know, hopefully in future seasons they can keep expanding that. It's like, well, actually the declaration of independence was in code and it was all about <laughs> witches. And, you know, I mean, I think there's so many things in TV that are played out, you know, like the buddy cops and although these are kind of buddy cops, I guess. Um, but there's so many concepts that you're like, Oh, doctor drama. Oh no, they're going to kiss in the closet now. Like, Oh my God, I can't. <laughs> Um, but this has so many elements that feel not done the usual way or just entirely new for TV that when, you know, turn came on, I was like, uh, where's the horseman? This is <laughs> yeah, uh, that's so true. I think, I mean, there's, there's like, there's only so many types of things that you could do, but there are lots of different takes and twists and right. new ideas that you can put together. And this, like you said, kind of has a little bit of a buddy cop, but it also ties in 
a, a different take on Ichabod Crane and the, the Headless Horseman and expands out a whole bunch of uh, mythology around that. Uh, adds in, you know, a little bit of time travel. I, you know, it's just, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous <laughs> when you, like, like you said, when you try and boil it down to like a couple of sentences, it really is something that needs to be watched uh, for you to really, really get a feel for what, uh, what it is. And if you follow the way it happened for me, you need to watch more than the first episode to really... Although the second episode is probably my least favorite because basically as all, all networks make the showrunners like, redo the pilot like the first two or three times. It's yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I got it. I did. I really did. I got that. Um, but no, I think once they got past all of that, it was just so much fun. And, you know, it's really hard, I think, to do um, what I, you know, cause I guess I think of it, of it as intelligent escapism. You know, it's why I watch Burn Notice, you know, every episode of that. You know, there's certain shows where it's just like, I do want to turn my brain off, but I really want to care about the people as well and, and be intrigued and mystified and go on an adventure. And so, you know, I, I'm really praying that Sleepy Hollow can continue that way in season two. Yeah, I, that's almost a good way to put it. It's like when I first watched it is like, was it going to be a show that you actually needed to pay attention to? Or was it going to be one of those that you could like keep up with in the background and it was kind of fun right? Uh, type of thing? And it's definitely it definitely has elements of both, but you definitely need to it is something you need to actually pay attention to to keep up with what's going on oh for sure and, and get all the all the stuff that's going yeah this this was family viewing in our house and you know we all were on the couch you know that we watched it in real time which is like crazy time right? <laughs> um we were all very into it and i mean that's a, that's a cool thing too that you know like it's a show i think that has really broad appeal despite you know it, it is as i as i put it in one review bonkers uh bonkers awesome i guess is the word but it's not like you can just parachute in and be like oh okay well it's, it's a crazy premise but they're having fun with it you don't need to like it's it's not so weighty with mythology that you couldn't just have fun with it whatever your perspective you know so i think uh that'll do it for uh that'll do it for sleepy hollow we'll move on uh a little bit to those were a couple of the new shows that kind of stood out uh, couple of the returning shows that stood out is The Good Wife uh, and Scandal. I was wondering uh, from your perspective, Mo, The Good Wife seems to get put in the category of best drama on network TV, which almost yeah. sounds like a put down to <laughs> in some respects. It's like, do you think that that, well, do you think that that's the case? Uh, do you think it's one of the best dramas on network? Uh, but do you think that it should be actually considered as one of the best dramas, period? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would put it, you know, in the realm of top dramas, you know. And I mean, I don't it wasn't on my top 10 list last year. But man, last year was an absolutely brutal year. It was just so <laughs> many good shows and so many, so many shows. The very top layer for me and the next layers were very, very chock full of stuff. Um, so the the competition is fierce. And I mean, I don't even know, do we call it cable? What do you call Netflix? You know, what do you call things you watch on Hulu? I mean, I think, you know, if you're having a conversation about the best one hour dramas on TV, I think The Good Wife has to be in that conversation. There's no doubt. I do think it does a couple things that, you know, like it goes a little broad. Anything to do with either Peter's mother or 
uh, usually to do with uh, Alicia's mother. I just, I honestly would like fast forward through the scenes sometimes. They're just written very broadly, and I don't really feel like they're doing a great service to those characters a lot of the time. They're a bit, a bit grating to me. Um, and it does have that sort of week-to-week structure, which I guess it's not just a cable thing to do more serialized structure, but um, the character stuff is certainly serialized on The Good Wife, which is fine. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I guess I kind of feel like it is damning it with faint praise to say that it's the best show on the broadcast networks, but I guess it's a little bit of an acknowledgement that... I feel some sadness, to be honest with you, that the broadcast networks are not aiming higher. I mean, we just talked about a great popcorn, fun genre piece, Sleepy Hollow, that, you know, really good, really fun, didn't lose its way. Um, But if you're talking about scripted dramas that are much more about, like, sort of, I I don't want to say that something based in reality is better, because obviously Game of Thrones is not our reality, but... I mean, if you're simply talking about ambition in the dramatic realm, uh, in the non-adventure dramatic realm, I really feel like the network broadcast networks have lost their way for the most part. And that's sad. You know, I mean, it's fine that the Blacklist does well. I'm glad that Sleepy Hollow was a big hit. Um, but I just think that in general, the drama pilots I've seen over the last few years, and I don't know if you guys agree, but they're really very formulaic. They, they The more you get ambitious... And mold-breaking things like Orange is the New Black or Orphan Black or The Return or uh, all these different things that are kind of like remaking the TV landscape or the ambitious things on Showtime and HBO. For the networks to get to retreat more into safe um, and bland formulaic one-hour fare, that to me is just a little bit sad. And so, I mean, maybe... In a way, they're not trying to pull down The Good Wife as much as they are trying to... People, when they say that, are maybe trying to a little bit make a comment about the rest of broadcast network TV, which, unfortunately, it's not that there isn't good fare. I'm not saying that. I just think there isn't a lot of ambitious fare, especially certainly not a drama in its fifth year that kind of reinvented itself. Yeah, there's uh, very few of, I guess you could say, of things like The Good Wife or Hannibal or, uh, you know, the... The things that I would put at the top, absolutely, you know, of of network, but that I think very compare very favorably favorably to uh, things from cable or, like you said, you know, things that we're starting to get from uh, Netflix and uh, and and other places. Kyle, do you have any favorite parts or moments from season five of The Good Wife? Um. Well, yeah. I mean, there was the the hitting the fan episode was just amazing. Like every the way that was done, the way they used the the music and everything. It just like I I just love the pace of it and just everything about that episode. But besides that, uh, I mean, there's been a bunch of stuff like um, anytime Dylan Baker is on that, like he's so fun and evil. It's amazing that they even trust him anymore whenever they're representing him. And then uh, I love the way I didn't love the episode, but I love the way that CBS handled the major episode. Like they didn't advertise that anyone's going to get killed off. Like you'd had no clue this was coming. Like when every <laughs> other show, they would have said yeah. one of these people won't survive tonight. <laughs> yeah, you like, didn't get it the promo a... of of flashing faces of all the characters and who will not survive. Yeah, and so when I was watching this, oh, he's laying down. I'm like, he's 
fine. He's gonna like they wouldn't kill off a major character. It was just wonderful. Not wonderful that they killed him, but just wonderful the 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 surprise. I wish every show could do that and just keep. They're like don't advertise like major twists that are coming. Don't, it, like just promote it. Uh, it might be a big episode, but don't give anyone an idea of like what you're gonna do because I think those surprises work so well when you're watching. And, well, sometimes they build it up so much that it just is a. Uh, it becomes a what would have been maybe minor, somewhat interesting becomes not nearly as big as what they mm-hmm. were making it seem like it was right. going to be. And speaking of spoilers, I mean, I'm, we all now just ritually make fun of the list of things that we get from Matt Weiner for Mad Men. I mean, one of my favorites was don't reveal like last season or the season before that there's a second floor at, at the firm. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? That's so like, that's so not a spoiler. I mean, I, the thing is, I get his basic principle, which I agree that the CBS um, did, you know, paid much more than lip service to that principle, which is that certain certain reveals or certain developments are much better discovered in the moment than knowing about them ahead of time. But Matt Weiner has such a completely bizarre idea of what constitutes yeah. <laughs> important knowledge that you should only receive in the moment that it's just like I don't like that seems crazy to me when he, <laughs> so when he, when he tells you please don't mention xyz and it's something that you probably wouldn't even have thought of to mention in a review to begin right with. and the, every year i make the same dumb mistake i'm like charlie brown the football i read the list before i watch it so that i know i'm like well that was like a floor now it's ruined yes that, uh, that definitely falls under the uh, hashtag tv blogger problems or tv critic problems exactly is, Very much so. is, is that that is super annoying when abc does that uh, a lot with they where they don't just say please don't mention such and such but like right when you hit play it says please don't mention and then it yeah, tells you the big spoiler and you're like for you now. well thank you for spoiling it for me so now i can't experience it like you want everybody else to experience it yeah exactly that that works out well for me i now will not have that experience thanks so how about some uh how about what moments stuck out for you uh, on the good wife mo let me just think about that that's a good one um you know, I actually liked the one where she went to the convention and they were they were just having drinks at the bar. Like, like there are these weird moments that the show does sometimes. Sometimes it goes weird or goes offbeat and quirky, and it doesn't work. Like, I really want them to not have that woman who's like the street dancer anymore. I mean, sometimes they just think I, I get the impression <laughs> the show thinks it's really cool and trendy when it's like, I don't know, I don't think so. Maybe don't do that. But you know, I like the the moment when. Um, uh, Elspeth Tassioni was like some the the bear in Times Square something anti-Semitic to her like <laughs> yeah. that was just so odd, but it was so great you know I love her and I love that they they use her at the right level if there was a spinoff show about her I would quickly want to just yeah. never watch that again it would be too much but I liked actually the NSA stuff and I think they did a really clever thing with all of that which was. You know, obviously the boss of the NSA was kind of this prickly guy and not that nice. But the, the, the lower level guys, the guys at the front line of this gigantic information collecting apparatus, they were just dudes. Like, they were fun. Like, I liked them, you know. And they – like, it just – I think 
it's a very controversial topic and it's a very layered, complex topic, all this data collection. But the way they made it almost light and fun or just interesting, I think that was really smart because, you know, if you just assaulted people with characters speechifying about, you know, um, privacy and the digital whatever, I mean, that would, I think, turn people off. But they, they took something that could have been really dreadfully dull and heavy and made it into, I think, a great sub-thread to the show. And also, you know, it's an important topic. We don't know what what really is happening out there. Maybe they're recording this podcast right now. (laughs) I loved how they took that and Peter, like, took advantage of knowing that that was happening and then sort of put the other guy, in order to make that other guy get fired, like, by purposely making him look like a terrorist or that he was talking with terrorists and stuff so i like the way that they worked that into like how they they take these things and then turn them around and take them to their own advantage which which mm-hmm. i think is really I, fun. I like that they also sort of spun it around and had the firm that had been being listened to all of a sudden have a chance to listen to the firm that they had left i love that too that was really <laughs> smart and, and like what <laughs> It's like, but we were really pissed that this was happening to us, but like they're trying to crush us. So like, what what should we do? And uh, that that was a an, an interesting turn. Uh, obviously, the big moment at the knowing uh, or when Will finds out, and you know the desk clearing moment uh, was obviously a moment that stands out in the season. The uh, Alicia and uh, oh, why am I blanking on her name? Kalinda. No, the. Uh, the the other the other one that ends up at coming to their firm at the end uh, that's when they're having Diane Lockhart yeah, Diane that's right when Alicia and Diane are having drinks after the funeral mm-hmm. uh, that was a great moment yeah that's that's one of my favorites too Henry. Uh, pretty much any time Elsbeth Tassioni shows up is is a good moment this show uses two things really well one uh, the guest stars they some of the best use of guest stars and then sort of recurring guest stars uh, on pretty much any TV show. And the other thing that they use really well is just the way the, sh- the, the shows play out and are edited and put together are so, uh, I- I'm always amazed at how much has happened by the time we get the splash screen of the good wife and that it's like 10 minutes into the episode and just like, all kinds of stuff has happened, but it's all very musical and lyrical and following, mm-hmm. following through. And then you're just like, there's still 30 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good at using music as well, I find. Um, I mean, once in a while, I think that the choice is maybe a little too out there or something. But in general, I, th- I find their music really good and I like it and it fits the mood and it fits the scene. And then I op- go off and want, you know try to find out who that artist was because I just want to hear it again. Yeah. Yeah, another thing I like is how a lot of their cases seem very modern. They don't feel like old cases. They bring in like all these things that are really going on right now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. tackle those yeah. cases. I call it a rip from the headlines, but from a completely different section of the paper than Law and Order uses. You know, it's uh, yeah, rip rip from the Sunday think piece section. <laughs> you know, from the financial section or uh, you know the technology section. They 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 go around with all these different uh, types of of things that are very interesting, you know, kind of on their own, but mm-hmm. allow them to do court cases that aren't about the same stuff that, you know, it's not always a murder case or, uh, or, you know, or a divorce or something. There's a lot of other things that end up uh, playing into those. That'll, uh, I think that'll close off the good wife. And lastly, uh, for this segment, 
Uh, we're uh, three seasons, 47 episodes, and like a billion twists <laughs> into uh, Scandal uh, after uh, this past season. How long How long do you think it can go like this before it burns itself out, Mo? You know, that's a great question. I really think that um, I liked – in season one, I thought the show – you know, it started out – when I think about early episodes of Scandal, it really – in terms of pacing, editing – structure, focus. It was very much a client of the week. It was not at all this crazy mythological monster (laughs) that has been built um, over time. So it was a very different show. It evolved a lot. I think season two was probably a lot of its high points and then parts of season three. But I think in my view, towards the end of season three, I felt like it was really running out of gas and it was kind of... um, and it's a hard thing to do. You know, I feel like they're burning rocket fuel. You know, they're not just pedaling their bike. They're just, it's hard to control something that has that much forward momentum and that many threads. And I, to me, it's always impressive how much they pull off and how much they actually ground. But I think a show like this, honestly, is always going to have a shorter shelf life. It's kind of the same problem as Homeland, to be honest with you. It's like if when there's this level of intense um, insanity at these levels of power and government and so forth and espionage and all the rest. I mean, I get it. You know, Scandal's not setting itself up to be a believable documentary form, you know, a very sober <laughs> thing. But even in that, within that world, you start to just kind of st- – the, the, it starts to become frayed and the machine starts to kind of go a little wonky. So um, I think that – you know the law. The, if they can do shorter scandal seasons, honestly, if they were to say tomorrow next season will be sixteen episodes, I think that would be fine because I think that that's a show where um, you want the twists and turns, but you don't want so many of them that you just start losing track of anything that the characters kind of get lost in the shuffle. And I think again, like we're kind of bringing it sort of full circle because talking about Sleepy Hollow, that's what grounds that show is that Ichabod and Abby are very I can identify them as people do you know what I mean like I feel like I know who they are I know what they want to some degree I know what their aspirations and their relationships are about Um, again finding out new things all the time but I kind of know who those people are in Scandal I just started to feel like when you start to feel too much that the characters are just there to service the plot which is kind of racing around out of control then, then I start to worry about it being able to sustain itself also, it became a show where I just – I didn't really like anybody. Like there's there's no hero of this story at all <laughs> after a while. Uh, but for me, I also just – partway through this season, I just started to kind of lose uh, interest. It went from the you know must-watch because you don't want to be spoiled to uh, it's, it's too much. It's just – there's like three twists an episode and uh, I, can't, I can't really handle this uh, much more. It's not just – doing bigger and bigger twists just because you can't you you feel like you have to keep going bigger and bigger uh, yeah. just doesn't do it for me what about you kyle with all the talk of the show how come you haven't uh, jumped back in on or at least tried it back out uh see i'm weird if i could a show i if i was to try to rejoin it i would have to go back and watch from the beginning <laughs> I, can't, I i it's either all or none for me i i can't join a show that's why i'll never watch ncis because i'm never going to catch up on <laughs> 11 seasons and jag oh man but all that backstory you're you're missing out on all that backstory kyle fine i'm using that as an excuse to never watch ncis but but uh 
Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just couldn't get into it on the pilot. And then I, I did rewatch one episode another time just because you were talking about it on one of these podcasts. But I, I it didn't win me over. I, 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 I will probably watch uh, the new Shonda Rhimes show, though. We'll see how long There's, that lasts. It's always worth checking them out, you know? Just, yeah, just <laughs> I really think Grey's Anatomy kind of came out of the gate more fully formed than um, than Scandal, which I think took a while to find itself. But, you know, I'm glad that something so heightened in so, something so... I don't know. I mean, it, it, it takes chances. It takes risks. And I really enjoy that about the show. I think it... The, you know, it's... It's having fun with the fact that we all are living in the moment. We all are trying to watch it in real time because it's like you don't want to be behind the Twitter curve or whatever. I actually don't watch it with like a tweet, a Twitter a client open because then I, my brain is just fried enough as it is yeah, by that I time just, of day. I, I just turn I I just turn Twitter off at like around five o'clock Pacific time because I don't want right. to hear anything about anything that I'm potentially going to be watching later on. Yeah, for Scandal, Scandal's a show that if you watch the first handful of episodes and you watch it now, it's completely unrecognizable. It is really unrecognizable. I, I totally agree with you. It's like, what is all the stuff about Quinn? And I mean, my review focused on the fact that, like, everyone else seemed to be. I just thought Quinn was so not interesting <laughs> the first, like, five or six yeah. episodes. And I mean, I think they've kind of just, you know, made her more part of the ensemble, but. You know, there was just a lot of moving parts this the end of the tail end of the season, and I don't. You just don't want to feel like that they're tap dancing because they can't stop tap dancing. You know, I mean, there's still great performances, still scenes that I like a lot, um, but I think it's a tough show to do at that level for a very long time. So I just hope everyone rests up a lot before next season. All right, that'll uh, that'll do it for some of the a look back at some of the more standout. Uh, both uh, critically and ratings-wise, you know, in that uh, sort of category of dramas. And uh, thank you both for joining me. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me. me. I had a great time. And uh, we'll have links uh, where you can find Kyle and Mo and uh, Mo's podcast uh, in the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 228. And uh, Kyle will be back again later uh, along with Amory to uh, close out the podcast uh, with our reality recap segment uh, and then uh, make a few uh, TV recommendations. Next up on the drama front, we're going to get a little heroic and uh, take a look back at the first season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the second season of Arrow. And joining me for this segment are... I am Andrea Towers from uh, Confessions of the TV Geek and currently EW.com. And I'm Laurel Brown from ZapToIt.com. All right. Uh, thank you both for joining me for this segment of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So start out... How excited were you for Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when you first heard about it, Andrea? Um, so I think anyone who actually you know, knows me personally knows that I'm a huge, huge Marvel fan. That's like totally in my wheelhouse. So Could be why I invited you on for this segment. <laughs> no idea why you wanted me to talk about that. <laughs> but so from the moment I think it was announced at Upfronts or it had been announced a little bit before that, I was like super super excited and it was like the only thing I look forward to for the TV season and going into Comic-Con and um it was like the one press room I wanted at Comic-Con and the one panel I wanted to be at and so like clearly I was really excited about it but I love the universe and I loved the premise of what um you know they were saying the show could be as a drama series um and 
you know, it sounded, and it sounded really interesting and I was super on board with it. So this was like my big, uh, probably my biggest excitement of the last fall TV season. How about you, Laurel? Um, well, I'm not so much, I don't have so much the background in the comic books that a lot of people do who are really big fans of the shows. My whole thing is that I just really, really love comic book adaptations so anything that was ever based on comic book. Yeah, yeah, I'm sort of in that same I'm sort of in that same realm as like I never really read a lot of that stuff uh, like as a right. kid or, or kept up with a lot of that stuff. But I'm also but I'm very super interested in anything that sort of spins off of those or is created out of those. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, there was an awful lot of just like, OK, Agents of Sh- or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know that one. That's going to be good. I'll watch that. So- thing with Arrow. I mean, didn't read the comic books, but I was like super excited for when they both came on. Kind of like I am for everything next year. Yeah. There's so much good stuff next year. Yeah, this uh oh, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, next year uh, a next year on a recap segment of <laughs> for the, that sort of focuses on the comic book side of things. There could be potentially a lot more uh shows uh, with <laughs> things like The Flash and Constantine and Agent Carter and gosh, the list goes kind of goes on and on with the uh, potential uh, things that are based off of comic books uh, that are coming in the next TV season. Should be great. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to a lot of them, uh, especially with I'm especially looking forward to Flash, considering how good Arrow's been. But uh, we can get to that a little bit uh, <laughs> in a little bit. But yes, the sort of consensus seems to be that the pilot was pretty good. It kind of lost its way pretty quickly, and that wasn't quite what people had hoped it was for. Uh, it started getting better around the mid-season, and then with the events of uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, uh, the show sort of really took off. And and first, so I'd say, uh, Andrea, do you agree with that sort of look at the season? And do you think that overall having to wait for all those reveals in Captain America kind of hurt the show. Um, no, I do. I actually agree a hundred percent. And um, I think, you know, I've been kind of writing about shield this whole season for EW. So I know a lot of people know my, my feelings on it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> just like so supportive, but at the same time, like I, I totally do realize how much better the show got um, after they were able to reveal a lot. Um, but I think, and I understand on one hand doing the, you know, the 22 or whatever, 24 hours of television and how it's it's harder to kind of keep that momentum um, as opposed to like a two-hour film. But I think just the, the way the story proceeded and the way they kind of dragged stuff out um, just really slowed it down a lot. And I understood why they did that, looking back in retrospect, but... You know, I had to convince a few people to get back to it. And once I started kind of really getting on board with um, recapping it and telling people that it had gotten so much better, I was pretty much literally like convincing people, no, you should go back and give it a chance. You know, I know you haven't watched since November, but it's gotten really good. And almost everyone who went back has like came back to me after and said, no, it got a lot better. Like I should have kept watching or um so I think it kind of sucked that they had to wait until after <laughs> Captain America to do that. Um, and I, 
I think they had said at one point that they knew that was their whole goal. Like they knew exactly what their whole reveal was, but they couldn't do anything about it. Um, I don't know if it wouldn't have, I don't know if it would have made more sense to do a shortened like 13 episode season starting after winter soldier. Um, that probably would have made more sense, but I can also see why ABC and Marvel decided to jump in in the fall and make it this big, uh, 24, whatever, 22 episode series. Um, so yeah, I agree with everything you said, and I'm just really glad that the show did get stronger and kind of grew into what it probably should have been more like at the beginning. What do you think, Laurel? I also agree, uh, especially since I was, one of those people who fell off somewhere in mid-season and basically was just, you know, oh, I don't have time for this. It's not a bad show or anything, but I just don't, I just didn't have time to watch a show that didn't feel like it was going anywhere, which it kind of felt that way for quite a while um, early on in the season because it was just like, well, they were running around the world and stopping minor comic bookish threats and hinting at more famous comic book characters characters and the Avengers and all that, but not much was really happening. And then it's like all of a sudden with, you know, after Captain America happened and they were able to incorporate all of that, it's like, oh, wow, this is a story. This is really cool. Um, and I mean, it did a lot for the characters and it did wait, it did even more for the story. So I don't know how they could have done it better, um, specifically, if, especially if they wanted to have a fall premiere for it like they did. Partially, I think this is a problem of tying in television shows and movies going back and forth like that isn't something that people are used to doing or used to watching so it's a little bit they're kind of in uncharted territory but I don't think they necessarily got it right this time yeah I think one of my favorite reactions is the people that were that complained that it wasn't connected enough to the you know to the to the movies and then you had this huge connection to Captain America and people were we're pissed off that Captain America spoiled things for, or, or that like the show <laughs> yeah. spoiled cat, you know, it's like, you're just like, but wait, you can't, you can't complain both directions. I definitely think that it definitely got better after Captain America, but I think there's things they could have done to made the lead up to that uh, a little more interesting uh, to me, all the things that they were sort of fighting were so dis disparate there, you know, but yet ultimately were kind of all the same thing. Right. Uh, but if I think, I yeah. think they could have gotten to, there was somebody or a more of a focus on, they finally brought in, you know, like calling somebody the clairvoyant. And uh, if, if that would have been, you know, more a part of the show early on of, of them finding out things and they're becoming like this bigger thing, uh, it just seemed like they were looking at this thing and looking at that thing and all of those parts of, you know, the agent with the eye uh, being controlled by somebody and, you know, the, yeah. the Cinebee project yeah. and all these things all ended up tying back together. But if they could have hooked those things together sooner, uh, that they were looking for this clairvoyant and that been earlier in the season became a bigger focus, I think the reveals of Captain America would have been even more uh, you know, <laughs> would have been even better uh, when you find out that they're not just this thing, that they're part of, you know, potentially this this bigger uh, problem uh, facing, uh, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. So uh, there's mm -hmm. definitely things I think they could have done to, 
I mean, it's a long time to think when you, what is it like? Yeah, they had to wait till like episode like sixteen or seventeen yeah, really before they like sixteen seventeen before they could mention Hydra, you know, type yeah. thing. But I think they could have made the overall bad guy they were going after something a little more formidable early on, before and then revealing just like they did. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. It's, it's uh, we'll see. But now that uh, now that the seasons you know come to an end. How excited are you now going into a second season, Laurel? Well, I'll definitely be watching it, which is a huge improvement over <laughs> where I was at the season show. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm definitely I'm looking forward to seeing some of the stuff that they're going to do and hoping they can I'm really hoping they can keep up the the momentum and like the sort of sense of urgency that the show had after they introduced the whole Hydra plotline. Um, I would love to see that because it's definitely a show that has a lot of potential to be really good and really fun. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing if they can pull that off. And if they can, I will keep watching it. Yeah, as long as they don't have to wait until... As long as they don't, like, meander about in the beginning of the season waiting for, you know, like, waiting for some uh, reveal in in some other movie, you know, coming down the line. Uh, How about you, Andrea? I am super excited for the next season. Um, I'm kind of, I'm also interested because I, I'm really curious to see where they're going to go now that they have the Hydra reveal. Um, they have everything that they couldn't do last season, but they also, it's not that they tied up all their bad guys. I mean, they kind of off their big, big bad, which was Garrett, and then they put Ward away, although he's not really dead um, or really gone. You know, I know he could come back. So I'm kind of uh, really interested to see what they can put together for next season um, because I think there's a lot of... I think they have a lot of options, and I I know they could bring in more comic book characters, um, and I think, I think the finale ended really strongly, and I think it ended like the back half of the season really strongly. And I think there's a lot of potential for them to, you know, almost uh, make up for the fact that (laughs) the first half of the season was what it was. I mean, I think they can really come back in the beginning of the second season and be really strong. Um, So I'm really looking forward to see what they're doing. I, I have absolutely no information because Marvel's <laughs> really excited. Like, I wish I like, had some cool insight, but Marvel doesn't tell you anything. So I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> but I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm definitely on back to being, you know, almost in a similar boat as, you know, last summer, you know, as excited for a second season with the way that it ended as I was for it to begin uh, originally. Because uh, if they can keep up with that momentum that they built up and and keep building on that into the next season, and it it should be it should be really good. But given, I'm I'm just hoping that they actually figured some things out. Like they were able to work some things out, and it wasn't just the reveal, but they also got better at knowing what to do for the characters and the show uh, in general, uh, and that all of those things will play out into the second season. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think they figured out the characters a bit better, too. I mean, even, like, the fact with Ward, he was so much better as a bad guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was great as a bad guy. I was amazed. I was like, wait, is this the same guy? It was I the mean, I know best, he's supposed yes, to be playing. Yeah, it was, it was the best thing they did for that character all season. 
Yeah, it's like, wow, this guy can act, this guy can act really well. This character is great character. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was a big question at the beginning of the season, if people remember. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I think, like, also, um, you know, it took a while for the characters to find their feet, and I get that, but it seemed like it took them a really long time to even figure out, like, what their personalities were, what their, you know, kind of, like, what their motives were, and and it took a while for people to warm up to that, but, you know, hopefully now that's kind of established, um, or at right. least, you know, it got released. Even Sky became more interesting. Like, I never, there's apparently a camp of people out there who hate her. I really have, like, no opinion one way or the other. I mean, like, she's fine. I just don't, I don't hate her, but she's not my favorite, but... <laughs> Even she got better. Like, she actually, she went from, like, not real, just being annoying to actually having a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she seemed pretty cool by the end, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think one of the things they did was in, like, the first, what, two, two or three episodes where they had the episode that they had to work together as a team to solve the problem on the plane. And, and then, like, from then on out, they were, like, supposed to be a team. Right. I, I think they tried to they didn't give the you know the characters a chance to for us to like grow in, and watch them grow into a team uh and right. and once you actually got a little time with them and they started doing stuff and then now when they're doing stuff as a team they actually it it feels earned as opposed they right. tried to just jump past that uh in the beginning yeah i agree okay so that's uh, agents of shield we'll move on to arrow Start with you, Laurel. What do you think of Arrow season two overall, and and comparing it to season one? Well, I think, I mean, I really do think that uh, Arrow season two was a phenomenal second season. Um, for me, Arrow was one of the best shows on television, and I don't not like genre television, not sci-fi television. And not like really adorable, incredibly good looking people television. <laughs> I just really think that it's a super high quality show and that season two was all about that. Because I mean, I don't like fights scenes that much. Like I don't I don't really care about special effects. I don't care about fighting and all that kind of stuff. And I was riveted watching the fight scenes in Arrow. And I loved the characters. I really liked what they did with them. Um and I like that there's real human angst involved with these characters. Like, the hero isn't just going around being heroic. He's, like, really messed up and psychologically damaged and not getting better anytime soon because really anybody who runs around in the middle of the night and beats up bad guys and stuff is probably not Can't okay. Be like, no, he's not okay. And, and um, I really felt like they... They stepped up all the characters this season. Um, they, you know, the whole Team Arrow thing actually kind of worked when it kept feeling like I should be, it should be overkill. Like so many people finding out, so many people getting involved. And it worked. I really liked it. How about you, so I love this season. I have the same feelings uh, as Laurel. I I thought the second season was amazing. Um, I, like, I was someone who watched, I, I watched the first season, but I wasn't, like totally 100% into it. It was like the show that I would watch while I was making dinner or like on Twitter or like I watched it and I knew what was going on, but I didn't devote 100% attention to it like I do for shows that I'm really into um, just because I couldn't 
like fixate on anything, I guess. But I, but I mean, I think a large part of that had to do with season one was a very slow buildup and a lot of island backstory and um, setting the characters up. And like to me, that was just kind of tedious. Um, so that was why I just kind of felt until like the end of the season, it literally took until the end of the season before I was like, okay, like, you know, this is something I'm going to have to pay more attention to, um, even though I was a fan of it. And then the second season started and it was just like, it didn't slow down It developed all the characters. It, um, it just really hit the ground running and it never stopped. And I'm so impressed by it. And it became, I mean, I think the biggest compliment I can give it is that it went from being a show that I liked, that I, you know, would watch, I would watch it, but I wouldn't really pay that much attention to it. I just liked it and I liked the people on it to being a show where like now on Wednesday nights, that's my number one go-to show, like need to be home, need to watch it live, all excited about it after this season. I mean, after, after this uh second season exactly yeah for me pretty much wasn't season one i liked it i liked it a lot i think they definitely stepped some things up in season two but i think that's one of the highest compliments i could pay a show is if it's something that i watch like same night you know if not live pretty close to uh, you know off the dvr but before i go to you know before i go to work that night uh it's i've already watched it because i don't want to I don't want to accidentally come across something or hear something or somebody else say something uh, about it uh, before I've watched it. So, uh, you know, there is, you know, there were times where, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. was was that with the pilot. And then it was that for a couple of episodes, but then it kind of wasn't. Then it was a watch. uh, And then by mid-season, leading up to Captain America, I think it was a couple episodes behind. Uh, you know, and I even just went and saw the movie and then was like, oh, man, that's got to do something interesting for the show. And I came back and watched the previous episodes and the next one. And and then from then on out, it jumped back into being that uh, I wanted to watch it same night. You know, I wanted to see uh, what was going on. Uh, and there's only, you know, right now there's only like a handful of shows uh, for me that that are like that, that I want to just. I want to see it as soon as I, you know, as soon as possible and not, you know, everything else that I, a lot of the other stuff that I watch, I, it's, it's on the DVR and I, I get to it before the next episode usually, but Arrow was definitely a show that is, is that type of show. And, and you mentioned the fight scenes. They do some of the best fight scenes, uh, the choreography of those fight scenes, the way that they're shot, the whole show itself, the way that it's shot for what you know, mm-hmm. It's got to be a tiny budget for a CW show (laughs) is, you know, in comparison, when you would compare some of the stuff that's happening on, you know, just the action and uh, the the look and style of the show uh, that they get out of such a, you know, what I'm sure is a pretty small budget compared to, I'm sure, some other network shows that don't come anywhere close, but but they're spending way more on them. It's one of those things that you you can't, you know, once you get watching it, you, it's hard to look away. Uh, you got to, and you, to be able to see all those great things <laughs> that they're showing you, you need to actually be watching it. Yeah. And I mean, also with Arrow, I think one of the reasons why it does so well with, like you said, a very limited budget is every single fight scene in Arrow has a purpose. Like nobody's just fighting. 
they always fight because there's something that needs to happen. There's, you know, they have to get through this bad guy to get to this thing. Somebody has to deal with this whole, th this backstory. Um, in order to save X, you have to fight Y. I mean, there's never just people fighting. You only fight, they, they only fight when they have to. And so, like, first of all, it means they can drop more money into the individual fights. And it also means that, like, the impact of those fights is just so much better. I also think that it's just a really sophisticated show, like, for a CW show and for a comic book show, and just, like, in general, from, like, the fight scenes are just really top-notch. The, the plot, most part, is not, like, it's not a, a fluff show, but it kind of is. Like, it's, it's sort of a weird balance. Like, it's not... Um, it's not like the Americans, which is like so super <laughs> high end, but it's also not like rain. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like this weird hybrid of being like really, really, really good, but like appealing to that CW type, but also being really sophisticated um, for the show itself. Right. Well, with all that, why do you think more people aren't watching it, Andrea? Well, it's on the CW. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's on the CW. It's I don't I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's the only thing I can figure is that it just has such a the CW. If somebody even knows what that is, the <laughs> the connotation that it brings up is more like Gossip Girl, that type of thing, than it is this, which is it just seems now and in, going into a second season that. Uh, I keep waiting for, and you think like something like Arrow, maybe Flash will do it or, or help to, you know, you have things like AMC has a lot of shows that people consider to be the best shows on TV with Breaking Bad and Mad Men and stuff. But for the most part, nobody watches those. Like on overall ratings, <laughs> nobody watches those. People are watching The Walking Dead. Right. And so I keep waiting for the CW to find its sort of Walking Dead type of show. What's the show that will break out past past the two to three million? Things like Arrow and Vampire Diaries have done really well for them, but they still only get like three million viewers, you know, on a good day. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm waiting. I'm wondering what it is. Why can't a show like Arrow, uh, which, like you said, has is a much higher quality show. Uh, both in the way that it's you know plotted and you know the actings continue to get better, the main cast is well entrenched in their roles now. What do you think it'll take for a show on the CW to like break out into not necessarily fifteen twenty million or something uh, like a uh, Big Bang Theory or or Walking Dead or something, but you know something that surprises for a, a CW audience? I think. That maybe I don't know if part of the reason why people aren't tuning in is because they think that they can't like get into it because it's it's a comic book character, it's a guy, you know, it's a vigilante shooting arrows, and he's got a love interest, and it's like all this secret stuff. I don't know if that maybe is something that they just think they're not interested in because they think it's another comic book type show, um, or they don't want to get involved with the story, um, but. I'm kind of hoping that, you know, with the next season, um, it's going to really start to break itself out more, um, whether that's through more publicity or, you know, just even through um, more people tuning in based on the fact that 
I think it did get better last season. So maybe people like me who weren't tuning in as much or as closely in season one will and tuned in like religiously in season two now will tell their friends and tune in even more religiously for season three. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Laurel? Well, I mean, in terms of people not watching it, I definitely agree that the comic book issue and, you know, vigilante shooting things and all that, it's a bit of, it's an issue for a lot of people watching TV. They, I mean, despite the whole giant, big comic book movies, people do have a lot of issues with watching that kind of thing on television still. Um, There haven't been that many really big hits that were this sort of genre type show, even if they've been like huge cult hits or whatever, you haven't gotten that many um, widespread hits. I'd say The Walking Dead is kind of the only one I can even think of, and that's such a different show from anything else anyway. But in terms of, like, what it would take to get people to watch The CW, I mean, they've seen, like, The CW has seen some ratings go up this year, which I think is telling about what The CW is doing. And honestly, I think there's actually a chance this, this coming season, I would say of, I mean, they're only... CW has much fewer, much less programming than everybody else. But, I mean, they have really strong shows coming for next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've only I've seen the fall shows. I haven't seen the, the spring shows, but I desperately want to see them both. But, I mean, the two fall shows are incredibly high-quality shows that people could really get into. And everything that's still on the CW, there's a lot of really good quality there. So... I mean, yeah, there's always going to be that, well, I don't know if I want to watch those teenage shows and whatever, but if if people can get past that, if it gets publicized enough that it's not just that, I think the CW is moving in, in that direction where it can get like the attention or turn into a breakout sort of thing. Yeah, kind of like uh, uh, William Shatner saying that, you know, like the CW is the <laughs> one place that you can actually find sci-fi programming on TV. You know? Exactly. So it's, it's not exactly the channel that you would uh, you would think it is. You know, at times it's almost had more sci-fi on it than sci-fi has. Last year I think it did. <laughs> you know, so. So. Well, it's also, I mean, you know, because I, I tend to forget too that CW is, like you said, for the longest time it was like Gossip Girl and, you know, WB stuff not taken very seriously and um, and they kind of up that cred with Vampire Diaries and Originals and Supernatural, which is like a big thing for them. Um, so I think they're kind of well on their way to getting more people to know, to becoming kind of more established as a legitimate network, as opposed to we're a network that just produces like comic book shows and young adult novel adaptations and sci-fi supernatural stuff like there's actually quality programming but i think hopefully people will start to see that but especially with all they have coming out for the fall yeah instead of just the young pretty people network yeah exactly (laughs) although i although every time i hear somebody say that i still say show me the show that is full of ugly people nobody can point to it so i don't know that that's really a really a complaint because do you really want to watch? <laughs> like, do you want to watch? Uh, not watch that? I don't know. You have to admit they are notably beautiful on the CW. <laughs> yeah. They are. You they, they do. They do. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. They do have the pretty people. That's not a. That's not false. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's also just like something to say. But there's, I think they're starting to show that 
they have some actually really good shows wrapped around pretty people with, you know, things like the hundred and arrow and, you know, the flash coming and a couple of the shows that I'm most excited for coming next season are I zombie and the flash. And they're both going to be on the CW. So can't really fault it for that. So I'm keep looking forward to that show that, that becomes the, like the first one to do, like four million on a regular basis or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you both for uh, joining me for this segment. Thank, thank you. And uh, we'll have uh, links in the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 228 uh, for where you can find uh, Andrea and Laurel online. And uh, next up on the drama front, we're going to talk a bit about uh, Once Upon a Time and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. And joining me for this segment are... I'm Daniel J. Lewis from Once Podcast and Wonderland Podcast. And I'm Hunter Hathaway, also with the Once Podcast. Thank you both for uh, joining me to talk a little uh, Once Upon a Time. Hey, this is exciting, and may all your dreams come true. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, one of the things that happened uh, this year uh, or in this past TV season was Once Upon a Time... You know, ABC spinning off uh, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. And while it didn't uh, make it past the first season, what did you what did you think when you first heard about uh, the spinoff idea, Daniel? Well, I was a little bit skeptical, skeptical, but at the same time, I was also a little excited because this indicates a couple of things. One, it indicates that ABC sees and saw that Once Upon a Time was performing well enough that they were willing to allow a spinoff and give it even more attention to the whole franchise as a whole. That was exciting to also get to revisit a particular land that we saw just briefly in Once Upon a Time was exciting and get to see some crossovers too. So there were a lot of cool things, but really ABC messed up the schedule, I think, with the way that they overlapped Once Upon a Time and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland instead of their original plan. But it was still an exciting thing. And even from the beginning, we were told we would get one season. So it was nice to expect that and to know we would have a complete story. But they'd have ideas if they could go further. So I I enjoyed it after the first few episodes. The first, or actually the second episode, I started thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I like this, but... After that, it was getting pretty good. And how about you, Hunter? Well, I was really excited. First of all, when they announced it, they said, of course, that it was going to be during the break of the midseason. And I love when there's new shows to watch because when they go on those breaks, sometimes you can get a little tedious with nothing to watch. And I also like the idea of going to Wonderland because, we, as Daniel said, we did see a little bit in Once. And I love the Alice storyline. So I really wanted to see where Adam and Eddie would take it. And they have such a way of putting a twist on things that I couldn't wait to see it. And so, uh, Hunter, once uh, you got a chance to watch it, uh, what did you think about uh, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland? I really did like it. Um, I liked how they told the whole story. And we knew going in that there was going to be a beginning, middle, and an end. I loved how they started and they brought Storybrooke. So Storybrooke was in the first episode. And you could tie it into Once Upon a Time. And, Daniel, what did you think overall once you got to see the season and uh, how it compared to the quality-wise with Once Upon a Time. 
I know that when they produced it, they weren't planning for it to be the same approach. They wanted it to look storybook like or story book like that is. And so some of the graphics here and there were a little cheap. And I thought in the beginning, it felt a little bit forced. Some of the acting, some of the visual quality was a little bit cheap. And some of those earlier episodes just felt like we're just in Wonderland to have a good time. Not really necessarily to tell a story, but let's just have fun, tell jokes, blah, blah, blah. But then the farther along it got in the series, and there were only 13 episodes, uh, the farther along that it got in the series, the more exciting that it got. All right. Well, you both mentioned that it was originally planned to play in the middle between like half seasons of Once Upon a Time. And it's something that uh, looking at ABC's coming schedule, at least what they've said, that they've sort of uh, learned their lesson on uh, these types of things. And uh, do you think that Once Upon a Time in Wonderland would have had a better shot had it actually played on Sunday nights in place of Once Upon a Time for part of the season? What do you think, Daniel? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because ABC learned a good lesson in the second season of Once Upon a Time, and that was that they had a very confusing schedule with Once Upon a Time, where it would be on for two weeks, then off a week, on for three weeks, and then off for two weeks. People couldn't keep up with it, and their viewership was dropping in addition to kind of a struggling storyline. And they learned a little bit from that in that for season three, it was almost a straight 11 episodes. They took one very reasonable break that was only for one week. And then it was 11 straight episodes. So that was great. They had that right. But by overlapping Wonderland with one's proper, I think it took too much time for a lot of viewers. And being on a different night, it meant that viewers had to change their schedules. If they'd have done it the way they originally planned, where it would have been between the mid-season finale and mid-season premiere, like Hunter said, it'd be like a new TV show for people to watch at that same time so they wouldn't have to adjust their schedule or try to figure out some weird schedule. How about you, Hunter? Oh, I absolutely think it would have done better. Um, Like I said, there's always new TV on to watch. And Thursday night is a really rough night in TV. Um, It went up against some very popular shows. And even I had to figure out what I was going to watch at eight o'clock on Thursdays and what I would record. But um, I hope that they'll do something like this again in the future. Cause if you look at their ABC's sister network, ABC family, they do this all the time. They'll have about uh, 13 episodes and then they do a new show for 13 episodes. And then they go back and finish the season with another 13 episodes. So it's something that I think that it needs to get done. And I just wish that, that ABC had stuck to it. Yeah, they definitely, not just that they put it on another night, but they put it in one of their worst time slots where, Shows have gone to die pretty much on a regular basis at eight o'clock on on Thursday nights. They haven't had a new show. Well, they haven't had a, a, all they've put there is new shows, but they haven't had anything succeed there in in years now. And and so I think that's another lesson that ABC learned uh, looking at their schedule uh, for next season is that they've just moved Grey's Anatomy up an hour, figuring you know that's an established show. People are going to an hour earlier it's not going to probably hurt their ratings overall but i think you're right that it would have done i think it definitely would have had a better chance had it played on on sunday nights because 
you know, at that time frame, obviously are interested in this type of show, are already watching it, and for a few weeks, if you're in a different land, I think it definitely would have would have worked better. And as I mentioned, you know, coming up this next season, they they're saying that they're going to play uh, the new uh, musical comedy Gallivant. Yeah. Yeah, uh, in you know that takes place in a you know sort of a fairy tale structure, in between, uh, you know as in in between seasons. So, and you know it seems like a compatible thing. They also ABC also announced uh, for the next season that the Agent Carter uh, series that they're going to play that in between half seasons of Agents of Shield. So, it really does look like Once Upon a Time in Wonderland that they learned a lesson from that and it decided to do some similar ideas coming you know in the in the new season yeah it's such a better marketing tactic to do that because looking at it from the perspective of the viewers that they have a constant stream of entertainment along the same theme that they enjoy maybe not the exact same characters but similar themes and even certain crossovers and stuff that they can enjoy because they enjoy one thing they'll enjoy the other so it carries them into the next season. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with conferences or gone to a conference where they provide a lunch or don't provide a lunch, but conferences where they do not provide food on site lose, I think it's something like 40% of their attendance or 25% of their attendees at lunchtime because when people leave the conference location to get food, they decide, well, we're already gone, so let's just go home. And I think that... <laughs> People take that same approach here with the TV show that when it gets its mid-season finale and there's nothing else on for three months, they might forget about it and just decide, okay, it, I'm not overly committed. Now, the diehard fans, of course, are, and we've got a lot of them <laughs> on our forums. But uh, then giving something to bridge that gap is really smart. And even from the podcaster perspective, like I was really stressing out doing two podcasts, actually three podcasts total per week, representing four shows and close to uh, five or six hours of content per week, about two TV shows. And it was getting stressful for a podcaster. Now, they don't have to think about the podcaster, but I know Hunter did twice <laughs> as much work, too, because she provided yeah. our spoilers. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to a lot to do there with going from you know, the original TV season being that they still sort of follow being this 39 weeks from the end of September to the middle of May. But yet repeats don't work anymore. There's so many mother, so many other entertainment options. And, you know, just on your cable dial, you know, there's so many different uh, channels, you know, let alone the Internet and video games and all these other things that can uh, take up your entertainment time. Uh, that giving somebody a, an actual set of, you know, new programming that, like you said, is similar for most of that time, you know, with a few weeks off here and there for, you know, things like Christmas and other holidays where and, you know, the occasional special or something like that that you're going to or award show that you're going to air. It, it definitely I definitely think it would have done better. I would I probably would have kept up with it more if it would just in even though Sunday nights are kind of a crowded space, if it would have been just taking over a spot, you know, so it's, it's not an extra thing on, on a night or an extra thing on another night, having it in place of something. It also looks like something that, uh, 
maybe even CBS learned a lesson from as they're planning to run their new CBS Cyber Show as not in between seasons or half seasons of CSI, but as a continuation on at the end of the season. So mm-hmm. on Sunday nights, they'll have straight through programming with new episodes of a CSI type show uh, for the entire season, which I think more networks need to figure out better ways to cover uh, a whole TV season with actual new episodes of things or, or new programming. Cause these long breaks, especially with new shows, a little less with established shows, but especially with new shows, uh, the audience tends to disappear. Like you said, <laughs> they go out, they go out for lunch in the middle, you know, in the, in, in the wintertime. And when springtime rolls back around, they're already either watching something different at that time, uh, or they've just, you know, sort of completely forgotten about it. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> All right. Uh, what did you think about the third season of Once Upon a Time and how it compared to uh, the previous two seasons, Daniel? Well, in a way, there were two third seasons for Once Upon a Time because they I think they made another good decision. And that is to have two separate story arcs, knowing that they're going to do 11 straight episodes and then another 11 straight episodes. But there would be a gap between them. It gave them this great opportunity to do smaller story arcs and really weave them together nicely to tell that complete story in 11 episodes and then continue on for another story arc for another 11 episodes. So season three was really split in two halves. The first half being Peter Pan and Neverland and the second half being Zelina Zelina, or the Wicked Witch of the West and the Oz land. And I thought that the first half of the season was fantastic. I thought some of the best writing of Once Upon a Time since the first season, some great surprises, some amazing tie-ins, some really awesome ideas and backstory. The second half of the season, I felt like was a little bit too forced and a little bit too, too dramatized, like a little bit over the top in some ways, but it was still a great story, but it just didn't surprise me as much. And then we had a completely wacky twist at the end that Hunter can comment more on if she'd like to. (laughs) So how about you, Hunter? Well, I, like Daniel said, I really liked how there were two complete stories and it was broken up because it, when it was going on a three month hiatus and having to remember what happened in the first half of the season to the second half of the season is kind of hard unless you're a diehard fan like us and watch the episodes over and over and over again. But it was really nice to have two separate storylines. And I really liked being transported to the other worlds and seeing Neverland, well, seeing their take on Neverland and their take on um, The Wizard of Oz. And yes, there is a huge twist for coming up for next season. I think that's actually a, a good idea, especially when you're going to have these large breaks. I think you also kind of mentioned it earlier, Hunter. It's kind of the ABC family model and that mm-hmm. they do is they do these seasons of various, uh, usually around 20 episodes for a lot of their dramas, but they tend to break them up into halves. But each part of the season tends to have its own story arc, while the whole season may have some sort of story arc as well. And, you know, continuing with the overall story arc of the show, uh, they do tend to give you right to some sort of, you know, maybe a cliffhanger or something like that sometimes or something where you feel like you got 
some sort of story, and then you know once it comes back, it it picks up and takes off from there. Yeah, uh, and I think that if you're going to do these large breaks, I think having it f- feel like sort of like almost two separate seasons, where you're you're sort of following the cable model in general, where you're arcing things out over you know ten to thirteen episodes. So, like you said, you don't have to all of a sudden be going. Wait a second, what was going on now? You know, back when when the yeah, show... yeah, you don't need that really long five minute. Yeah. What happened previously <laughs> on the episode season? Yeah, the 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 ever going uh, previously on segment to uh, to giving you every little teeny tidbit that you need to exactly remember uh, with where they're picking things up going forward. Well, and what was interesting with their third season is it's actually more like two seasons and a movie because the first right. 11 episodes were the Neverland and Peter Pan story arc. And then the next nine episodes were this Zelina and Wicked Witch of the West story arc. And then they had a two hour season finale, which was really just two episodes back to back. That was like a fairy tale version of Back to the Future. And it was really practically a movie. And I read that they wrote it to be a two hour movie. So... It works that way to, uh, I don't know, a, a nice sort of big ending type of thing to get you, again, interested in the show just in time to take three months off for the summer before the show comes back. All right. Lastly, uh, we've uh, we've been to the Enchanted Forest uh, to start out with, and and we've now visited places like Neverland and Wonderland and gone to Oz. Is there another uh, fairy tale land? Or some other fairy tale characters that you'd like to see show up on Once Upon a Time? We'll start with you this time, Hunter. Okay, I have a list. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'd love to see uh, Tiana and Prince Naveen, who are the Princess and the Frog characters, because Dr. Facilier would be an amazing villain. And then we have, we've already seen Ariel, but I would love to see Atlantine, which is her kingdom, like have a whole like episode under the water or something and meet all the other merfolks. Um, I would love to see more of the Cinderella story. We want, I want to know how the baby's doing and when's the wedding. More with Mulan, because with her backstory with Sean Yu, he would be, he would make another great villain. And I would love to see how they would cast Mushu and Ali Song, who has her love interest in the movie. And then one thing I do not want to see is I don't want to see space and I don't want to see aliens. (laughs) All right. How about you, Daniel? I agree on not wanting to see space or aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Every show I seem to watch, it always turns up. It was an alien. Like, I just had to throw that in there. Or interdimensional beings. Uh, Yeah. Well, when Disney bought LucasArts, and Lucas Films, that was a concern is, well, Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz love Star Wars. And are they going to bring Star Wars characters into Once Upon a Time? But no, they've so far, at least they've only brought in references to Star Wars and references to Star Wars as movies, not as actual history. But some yes. of the other no George R. Binks, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's for the 20th season of Once Upon a Time. When they're desperate for content. Uh, Some of the other characters that I'd like to see. Well, I think they've covered some of the the main, most important characters. But in some way, I'd like to see more about the backstory of 
Aurora or the Sleeping Beauty backstory because we got to see Maleficent, but never actually got to see her main defining roles in Once Upon a Time. Uh, I wonder about how many of the Disney characters they might consider bringing in because now we know at the end of the season three, spoiler if you don't know already, but they are bringing in Elsa from Frozen, which is Disney's kind of version of the Snow Queen story from Hans Christian Andersen. So it is technically a fairy tale. And uh, that will be a character that they're bringing in because they fell in love with that character when they saw it. So that'll be interesting to see how they do it. But I don't want it to be too cliche. That's what I'm a little concerned about. I'd like to see more of other worlds because we got to see in season one inside of Jefferson's hat and saw doors to several different worlds. And I want to know where those doors go. What are in those other worlds? What other characters might there be? I'd love to see an actual Aladdin, even though we've seen Jafar, we've seen a genie, we've seen all of that happen. Uh, some of our old characters I'd love to see again, if possible, like uh, the Huntsman, even if he just shows up because he's a cool guy. And uh, Queen of Hearts, I've figured out as my favorite character, Cora, would be cool to see her again in some backstory, but she's dead now, so that's not going to happen for future <laughs> stories. Uh, other fairy tale characters, though, that I'd like to see, I can't really think of many that aren't animals, according to the Disney movies, at least. The one other, though, that I like is Merlin. Oh, yeah. That definitely seems like somebody that could fit into this this world of magic and and uh, everything we've got going in the in these various various places there's such a wide range of things that they can go to and they've shown very creatively of uh, how they can bring them you know how they can bring them in i just hope that as they bring people in that they do give us a little more while it does take away some focus from uh, the original characters Sometimes you feel like when they bring somebody in, it's almost just for, hey, cool, look, we've done our version of this character, and you don't really get a whole lot with them. Or they introduce them just enough that you want a lot more, but then they... And then they don't give it to you. Yeah, then, they, yeah. then they go back to the you know, the main storyline, and, you, and you're left wondering, going, what? but I want to see more about, more about them over there. Like Cinderella, we saw her... How's the baby? When's the wedding? <laughs> she got engaged. Now what? You know, they're just giving you little little hints and and uh, and shots of of some of these other things going on. It also would be kind of interesting if if they just they could just come up with their own new character that would you know it's not necessarily based on on anything. Uh, they could create their own world as a secondary. Uh, you know, one of these places that you mentioned, Daniel, that you want to know, you know where where all these places are. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll that'll about cover it for Once Upon a Time and, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Thank you both for for joining me to t to talk about the shows. And I'll have uh, links to uh, in the show notes of where you can find uh, Daniel and Hunter and the Once Upon a Time podcast. Uh, once podcast uh, in the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 228. And that'll end our look back at uh, some of the network dramas for this past season. Next up, we'll be bringing the 2013-14 TV season recap to a close uh, with 
uh, look back at some of the reality uh, and competition shows from the past season. And uh, back with me to uh, for this segment are uh, Amory and Kyle. Hello. Uh, hello. Thanks for uh, thanks for helping me close out this. Uh, uh, Kyle, you might be part of one of the longest podcasts ever. I know. <laughs> I, I got my fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, so to kick things off, what did you guys think of the uh, season finales of The Amazing Race and Survivor? Amory, did they did did your teams? Make it all the way to the end. <laughs> um, I'm very happy with who won the Amazing Race, and I'm very happy who came in third. <laughs> I mean, if they had to come in any place and be in the finale, I'm glad Brendan and Rachel didn't win and didn't come in second and dragged ass and didn't come close, really. Um, so I was very happy to see Dave and Connor win because I think they're great. And they like they have great race etiquette, and they're smart racers. I just... They deserve the win on the Amazing Race for sure, and I, Kyle, you probably agree with me, right? Oh yeah, they were the ones I was rooting for from the very beginning, and I was so happy to see Brennan and Rachel coming last. She was just Ugh. horrible this episode. She was awful. She, she let her true color shine, and I hope no one tells her that you can actually have a baby without winning a million dollars because yeah. I don't want to be watching their kids in reality shows. Oh my god. Like, in 15 years or whatever. That to me also speaks to Brendan's like real interest in their relationship. Yes, I know they're married, but just winning the Amazing Race was the only thing that was going to like let them have a kid that your priorities aren't necessarily you mean people have kids without having a million dollars? I mean, I get that. The, I mean, I bet it was because like they wanted him to finish school and all that stuff. But that's just no. It's so dumb. Yep. I just can't stand them. And, and having them back this whole time, it was like, I, I really don't understand why people. I mean, I guess because people love to hate them. I just, ugh, I just. They get them. people talking about them. And that's enough, I guess, to say, I, oh, yeah, I guess. Creating buzz, even though people hate them. I don't but, love to hate them. I just hate them. I hate them. Exactly. <laughs> there are people you love to hate. The Afghanimals, like, they, I don't hate them. I just, they're a, a team that, like, I could root against, but not for any malicious reason. I just hate Brendan and Rachel. And it's mainly Rachel. Like, yeah, exactly. Brendan barely speaks. Oh, when she was throwing dirt into Dave and Connor's hole, it was like, come on. That's like third grade stuff. And then she was trying to steal a cab, even though there was another cab right there. Like, that cab was great, where he was like, no, I have another team. No, I'm not. And then he told his t his people, he was like, they tried to steal it. Like, good for that cab driver. So the Amazing Race, excuse me, <sighs> yawning. I was happy with the, the Amazing Race. It wasn't like the most exciting final leg. And the fact that no. it was only an hour, like... Well, I thought it was weird that final leg. Like it was, it was just lucky. If you happened to be the first one to parachute out, you won. Like yeah. the whole thing was stupid. They should have had at least like once you parachuted out, have a leg race or some kind of puzzle on the ground. Yeah, it like, was weird just... that there was no like put these places in order. Like there's always a puzzle like that, and there wasn't. So that was that was strange to me. But I didn't but, care because Dave and Connor won. Yeah, so. I didn't care because Dave and Connor. I wanted them to win since they couldn't continue in their leg, like in their year. Because I yep. thought they were so great. I love their story. It made me tear up at the end. First father and son to win. Dave was the oldest person to win. Like, I, they were good. I was happy with them. Um, so that's the amazing race. <laughs> oh, Survivor. <laughs> I think I, I agree with you on this, too. <laughs> it was a great season. And I thought that. 
honestly, I honestly did not know how it was going to go. Like, I, I thought maybe Spencer was going to be able to, to flip them. I thought maybe Wu was really going to take Cass. Like, I really, I will say that it wasn't a foregone conclusion until Tony was in the final two. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. I, I had, a, like, I had high hopes and I actually had a glimmer that maybe it would happen that Spencer would, would talk his way into the final three. But. And as soon as he left and Jeff was like, well, you'll have your final, final immunity. You could sense in all three of them that they were like we maybe should have listened to him because he knew exactly what he was talking about. And basically as he's walking away, Jeff's like, yeah, so Spencer's out and you guys are going to go down to a final two. Basically exactly what Spencer was saying was going to happen. And I, I think they should have, like, I wish they didn't fall for Tony's stupid bluff that he, his yeah. idol work because they would have voted him out because yeah. he was definitely the one. He deserved, as much as I hated him, I he deserved to win. Like, out of everyone there, he was the one that actually deserved to win. But I didn't want him even in the exactly. final three because I knew he would win. And the thing about, like, somebody was a Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry, which was so weird, but like he's a huge fan and it was his idea for that idol. Like I thought that oh, was hysterical. I hate, him. Yeah. I hate him too, but um, I thought it was hysterical, but he was like, he's just like Russell. I hated Russell. I don't hate Tony. I just was annoyed by Tony. And See, I, I think Russell like... got lucky and Tony actually made moves. I actually liked Russell. His oh, I hated season. him. Like later, he became really annoying, and like when he kept on coming back, his first season, I was actually rooting for him because of what he was able to do. I think the thing that made me hate uh, Tony for doing the same thing was that voice. That's true. <laughs> that voice just drove me nuts. But he was he doing was the same thing. type of stuff as Russell. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I just cast. Oh, she was so delusional. There, like, I, there was no way she would have won against even either of them. No, like, no. as much as Wu did nothing, Cass was just annoying. They would have yeah. given the money to Wu. And she flipped off Trish in front of the jury. Like, that was going to sour them on the jury. Like, the jury was already soured on her. And then to see her act, like, so catty when Trish got voted out, like, <sighs> I wish that it had, I wish that it was like a final four and Spencer had won because he deserved it. I really, though I get the sense from like interviews that Jeff has given that the next two seasons are not returning player seasons, even which though I think doing, is really good. Even though they're even doing, though they're the doing blood, blood versus water. water I think yep. they're they, like, he gave, he gave an interview or something that said he was really happy with the reaction that people had when it was all new players and nobody was really like, good at the game you know you had some scholars of the game but he said something that was like so we're going to do kind of back-to-back seasons with that and he just kind of said it in passing but looking back it sounds like blood versus water is just going to be new people who are still pitted against their their family that's going to be tough to remember who goes with who if you don't even know, I know. if you don't even, i couldn't even remember half the time with people i knew but i just yeah. i like the new blo- like there hasn't been a season of survivor since i think 2013 three 22 or 23 that there was all new players and we're in season 27 now or we're going to be in 27 or we're going to be in 28 i'm not really sure i think it's 29 actually oh maybe this yeah okay this was 28 so like that's three four years now without new people completely and sure like i'm glad rob finally won and i'm glad tyson finally won but they finally won so they can be done and we can have all new people for the next 
you know, and then maybe in two seasons, Spencer comes back and I'm like, yes, I want Spencer to win. Because if anybody's going to come back, I would like to see Spencer come back. I would like oh, to I'm see sure LJ, they'll bring him back. Yeah. I would like to see LJ try again. Because I really think LJ played a good game until he just was too loyal to Tony. Yeah. Um, so I just, it was a good season. And I honestly have to say that I have not been as surprised by Blindside like, as I have been with this season. Now, I know there have been big – like I think it was Blood versus Water where there was a lot of people like surprisingly voted out. But not surprisingly to us. And I think they did a good job of really keeping it close to the vest and, and not telling – like editing it in a way that we really didn't know. Whether they had it solved or whether they knew for sure they had said when Tony was going to flip – like when Tony was going to vote for Trish. Like I didn't think Tony would vote for Trish and then he did. No, I was even cheering at the screen thinking, oh, they got one past him. Like, they yeah. got to throw away his, his idol and not use it on Trish. And yeah. like, and then I couldn't believe that he actually voted for her, which I think was a so, but he ended yeah, up winning anyway. I think, yeah. Uh, well, he, she was so upset. She was so sad. I, I don't know. I thought it was a little too – she was a little too upset. Like, like, maybe there was something going on there that his wife should be concerned about. That was interesting, again, that somebody didn't believe that he had a wife. And then Jeff is like, no, you really do have a wife. Here's a picture of her. Yeah, because she didn't even show up at the thing either. It's like, oh that's God. not a good way to uh, try to fool. Do you hate Tyler Perry because of that idol, or do you just hate Tyler Perry? I've never seen any of his movies, so I don't. Oh, me either. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I hate him for coming up with that stupid, I, even though he said, like, oh, you would have loved it if Spencer had won it. I think the whole thing is still stupid because it guarantees someone, like, a safety. Like, you don't have to ever choose to play it. It's like you're, you've got an automatic safety for the yeah. whole game until someone, I mean, I could see if maybe it lasts one round or something, but to give you it for the entire game seems absurd. And I think that the guys, the Survivor producers and things like that, they're pretty smart in picking up on things like that. As much as everybody hates kind of Redemption Island and all that stuff, or Exile Island or whatever, they tweak things enough that it it makes sense. So I have a feeling it's going to come back, but I have a feeling they're going to put like a limit on it, and they're going to like, and people who watch this season are going to know that it can't be top four. Like, there's going to be a little something more there. But so yeah. a good season with a bad ending. Yep, and I it agree. was Wu's worst decision ever. Not since Colby Donaldson has there been such a bad decision. I don't think he could have won against either. Oh, I don't know. It's. I think uh, Wu would have beaten Cass. I, I kept him going back and forth because he was nice, but she actually did something. He did nothing. Yeah, but they hated but, her. Yeah. And uh, retrospectively, everybody was like, oh, yeah, I would have voted for Wu. Yeah, but you could never go by that. Like, that's not in the True, moment. True, because now they've watched yeah. the season, too, so yeah. they may have changed their mind. But, but in general... But I'm yeah, still I mean, on board with Survivor. Yeah, I, this was definitely one of the better seasons in a long yeah. time. So. Yeah, for sure. From which group did the 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 winner come from? Braun. So strength won out. Interestingly, Sorry. yes, technically <laughs> yes, but I think he was smarter than half the people on the brains. That the the original categories may have not been the, the best. Uh... I thought it was interesting. I read an interview with Jeff that he said. They cast the season and then came up with the theme. So you're trying to pigeonhole people into the, yeah. the roles, yeah. Which is how someone who's as dumb as a box of rocks like Garrett ends up on the Brains team. And the girl that threw all the rice in the fire. Oh my god, she was intense. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Amazing Race Survivor. Alright, so now I have a few questions sort of to go over the, the past season. Was there 
a new reality or competition show that uh, that you started watching this uh, past season that uh, you really liked? It, mine doesn't really fit within this past season. It was over last summer. Was it last summer? Maybe it was this season. When did Junior MasterChef air? Uh, I don't remember. It might have been in the summer. Yeah, I, can't I think it was either end of summer, early fall, because I know MasterChef is summer, and they didn't air at the same time. But I really like Junior MasterChef. Yeah, those Master shows Chef tend Junior, to run at weird times. Like, they don't tend to always follow exactly a, a regular season when they put But for me, on. even though that wasn't maybe technically 13, 14, September to June, it was still, I think, my favorite new one. I can't think of any others that I so watched that was new. Looking forward to the, uh, the, the new season of that? Oh, for sure. And MasterChef. I love MasterChef. How about you, Kyle? Uh, so, yeah, I had two down here. One, I think, was actually over the summer last year, which was that whodunit, which was like the mole. Oh, I like but, that, too. But as like a murder mystery type of thing. So I thought that was an interesting take on it was very much the mole, but it was like an interesting take on like yeah. a, a different take on it. And it was nice to have that back because I, I miss that show. Um, and then also the Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge, which is a new twist on Face Off, like adding another element. So while not completely new, uh, different versions of stuff I've liked in the past. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think if there's any other new sh- other new uh, reality that I watched, and I don't think there was anything new that I found myself really into. Sci-fi seems to be the place where <laughs> most of these n- new shows keep popping up. Yeah. So how about on the uh, other side of things? Was there uh, something that you checked out or that was just absolutely terrible this year? Came right in the nick of time for this uh, podcast. <laughs> Uh-oh. But there is no way intelligent women from the United States do not know who <laughs> Harry is. Oh, my gosh. I love that show. <laughs> now, listen, I love the show in that it's insane and how I loved, like, Joe Millionaire and all that stuff. But these women are so – how do they think he's Harry? Oh, believe – yeah, they're they're all idiots, but and, – and... <laughs> But that, I, I just love how it, it somehow recaptured the Joe Millionaire stuff. Because I was a huge fan of Joe Millionaire, yeah. and I loved Except it. Joe Millionaire, you could buy the concept that there was an actual millionaire. The idea that somebody who's, as I heard somebody else put it, fourth in line to the throne <laughs> in Britain <laughs> would be allowed to do a reality show right. in America to find a wife. Right, this you, is true. You've got no, but this. he's still in Europe. <laughs> he didn't leave the country. Yeah, but, but I mean, oh my God. but it's but it's all American girls. Yeah. So you have, but that that would be something that you <laughs> that you could just that you could just buy off just just from somebody saying that is is kind of ridiculous. But he hasn't actually claimed that he's Harry yet. True. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, but, um, but I'm gonna still watch it. It's just so dumb. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna let it's that stop me. Show, I'm still watching. <laughs> hey, I watched worse, but I'm trying to think if there's anything other other you know what I kind of thought was just the dumbest thing? I watched Project Runway enough um but Tim Gunn's Under the Gun. So the first two weeks it was just called Under the Gun and the ratings were terrible. So by the third week it was officially called Project Runways Tim Under the Gun, like because they want the Project Runway name on it. Uh, and then Nick was the worst 
idea to have come back as a ju- as a mentor. And also I would say Mondo because Mondo cares only about Mondo. I didn't even finish it. I was just so like, whatever. This is so stupid. I don't like that they have the mentors. I, I would have picked different mentors is what I'm saying. Well, that kind of plays into the next question is, was there a reality or competition show that you gave up on? So, Well, yeah, Project Runway I gave up on. I haven't watched that in two seasons. This also, I, there was a show that I thought was the worst and I did give up on, <laughs> <laughs> which was, I think it might have been last summer. It was The Hero, which was The Rock hosted. Oh, I don't even remember that show. It was on TNT. It was basically one of these where, like, you had to show that you had the qualities of a hero and you would end up being, like, the winner at the end and, like, America would vote who they thought the hero was. But the whole concept was so awful because people were no longer trying to compete to show they were the best and stuff. They were all like doing the most politically correct choice. Like they could uh, take money if they wanted or if they, and no one would know except America who would be voting to say who was the hero. And so like it became so stupid because people weren't, like even trying anymore they were just like not taking the money because they wanted america to think they were great so that they would Ugh. vote for them i end up just like stopping watching i i watched the finale to see who won but i like fast forward through most of it and it was just it was just terrible jeez you know what i might give up on because i don't think that's a real question here like that's not one of the questions necessarily um but i might give up on top chef I'm giving up on know. Hell's Kitchen. I, I already gave up on Hell's Kitchen. Like this. Um, and interestingly, on the other side of the coin, I was totally into Dancing with the Stars this season. Like, <laughs> start to finish, I watched every episode. So you might pick it as a new question, what show are you, weren't you watching that you might pick? Yeah, up? it's true. <laughs> that's not on there. But, like, thinking of shows that I would give up on, which The Amazing Race might be, because Friday nights, I don't care about Friday nights. But Top Chef, I don't really care. But Dancing with the Stars, I watched every single episode. Now, it all depends. I mean, and it really is relying on cast because, like, they've had a lot of, like, D-listers on that show. But this season felt more B-lister. You know, like, Drew Carey's a big name and Marilyn Max just won a gold medal. Not Marilyn Max, Marilyn Charlie. Candace Cameron, Danica McKellar. Like, these are names that I enjoy. And I didn't feel like I was stooping to any really low level Although to I watch, really like... Call- Candace Some Cameron and A lister. No, no, I said B list. I would that say solid still B list. That might still be generous, but come on, DJ Tanner. <laughs> no, um, she was not great, and I didn't think she deserved to be in the top three, like at all. But I still was rooting for her because I love DJ Tanner. But yeah, so that's that. Yeah, I think that that definitely is a show that, while it still seems to do pretty well, I think it definitely is cast contingent on. Yeah on certain ones that there's there's got to be two or three people that you like actually have heard of <laughs> right <laughs> or really like uh, that make uh, that that make the list and interestingly i had never heard of james maslow before this season i'm not a huge big time rush fan apparently um but i was rooting for him cuz he was banging his partner <laughs> put it out there <laughs> i wanted to see them continue to get to do that so there you go. That's every single on Dancing but, with the Stars. So, wasn't there like some sort of vote to switch partners or some sort of yeah, thing that took place a, in the season? So there was a, like three or four episodes in, they switched partners for a week, and everybody was pretty much terrible because they had no chemistry with their partners. Did they except use Matt? Uh, except Meryl because she had Max's brother. 
Do they use a bowl of keys to decide the new... Uh... No. I'm pretty sure the Marilyn Max are banging, too, but whatever. <laughs> That's the throwback uh, 1970s Dancing with the Stars uh, Oh, my God. Episode. Do you guys remember Swingtown? I love, I love All right. Swingtown. So uh, <laughs> the X Factor has, uh, has, has had its run here, and uh, American Idol continues to uh, dive in the ratings. The Voice still doing pretty good. Do you think that singing competitions have sort of uh, come to their end. Well, they have for me. I, I don't watch any of them. Well, I mean, but, just overall. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't watch any of them either. As, as long as there's money to be made on iTunes, they will never go away. They may cut yeah. down the number of hours as, like, the advertisement for the songs, but they'll always – I think they'll be around in some format just to sell music. Like, they'll never completely go away, I don't think. Yeah. I'm interested to see – because duets failed so terribly – on ABC, I'm interested to see how their new one does, Rising Star. But, yeah, I don't think they'll ever completely go away. And I think once The Voice hits season seven and eight, it's going to start to see its ratings fall, too. It's just the they, nature of longevity they just need or to, whatever. They just need to try to find new and interesting ways to do it. Like, I, like The Rising <laughs> yeah. Star, I think, is supposed to be some kind of, like, live voting or something. But I don't know how that works, like, with two coasts. like two Yeah, times. I don't know. Well, the voice itself needs to actually find somebody that actually becomes a star, Something? like yeah. past the, the season. Yeah. Like it's got to be more than listening to yeah. people with your back to them and then turning around. Because not a single winner has gone on to do anything, and I think the most famous of the like people who competed, you look at somebody like Tony Luca, and he's not famous. He just was f- kind of semi known. Before the voice, so he's semi-known after the voice. Yeah. Like nothing about like at least with American Idol. If you look back at the thirteen seasons, like there's a lot. They have some. <laughs> they have some truly, like they have true stars. The voice has not been able to do that. I couldn't tell you the name of half the people that have won the past couple seasons of The Voice. Yeah, I'm not even sure that people that have watched the show could like go back. Yeah, and tell exactly, you who exactly. Because there, there hasn't been. There's nothing. There's nobody that's, or at least there's been nobody that's jumped like next level. Where if you weren't watching the show, that you've heard of them, right? Where you know, even very early on in American Idol, you had the people that were winning, and you know, even and since then, finishing top two, three, four. Yeah, like Daughtry was. There's people four. that have been. Yeah, there's Kelly Pickler have... is. You know, she's made a name for herself. Even coming, you know, American Idol. Say what people will about the ratings. It's just, it's producing more with fewer ratings. So, so that's that. So lastly, what was the uh, what was the best reality or competition show you watched this past season? Like, uh, which version of The Amazing Race or Survivor or something else that you? Oh, I mean, this this season, this most recent Survivor was a solid season. I don't know if I would call it the best. Like, I loved MasterChef, MasterChef Junior. They don't really count. I love So You Think You Can Dance. That doesn't really count um, because I don't think any of them aired in the actual fall to spring season. Um, so I guess looking back, Survivor might be my choice only because it by default aired in the season. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure when it aired, but mine was definitely the Joe Schmo show. It was so great having that back after 10 years without skipping a beat. It was like the same fun show that I enjoyed. I just thought of a recommendation. Wait, when is this coming out? 
it's coming out. The podcast, this podcast. yeah, uh, it'll be out this this week, Wednesday. As okay, I'm just checking because I just thought of a recommendation and I wanted to make it before the day that. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Spoiler alert! Cameron <laughs> yeah. got a re- recommendation. <laughs> All right. Well, with that. Uh, that'll do it for the recap portion of the podcast, and now we'll uh, bring the podcast as a whole to a close with a few uh, recommendations, starting with my recommendation is Police Squad. I, I kind of forgot about it, but I was talking with somebody at work the other night, and we were talking about different movies, and we got talking about like spoofs and and uh, you know things like Airplane and The Naked Gun, and that reminded me of Police Squad which it's the naked gun from the files of police squad, but it's six episodes. Uh, sadly that it came and went really, <laughs> really quickly. But if you like the naked gun, if you like that style of humor, this is their attempt at trying to do a TV show. Uh, it's, it stars Leslie Nielsen. Uh, the, the DVD set has, you know, a bunch of special features and uh, gag reels and stuff like that on it. So there's a little more than just the six episodes, but it's a it's a lot of fun. And it also the other thing that reminded me about it was the new TBS show that's coming. Steve Carell and Nancy Carell produced show with Rashida Jones, which I'm totally blanking on the actual title of the show. Yeah, I don't actually remember what the title is. I can't I can't remember the exact title of the show right this second, but that show looks very similar in that spoofing of you know the cop show uh, genre. So. Uh, that's my that's my recommendation. It's uh, worth checking out. And uh, Amory, I, yeah, I just thought of one. Um, <laughs> so mine is actually for a new show that's coming. And if this is coming out on a Wednesday, then this will be perfect. So I don't know if you guys have watched it or if you guys hated it, but I am totally in love with the cast of Undateable and the creators of Undateable, and I want Undateable to like buck the trend. And prove to NBC that burning off a funny comedy can result in something. Because I really do think it has legs. And I really want it to do well. And I really love Chris D'Elia so, so much. And I love Brent Morin even more. The, the, cast, the cast looks pretty good. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that one. I think that while it, it feels a little bit like a burn off because they're doing two episodes a week. But at least they have they'll be able to go for six weeks or so uh, with that. Uh, But the idea that, that NBC is airing some other comedies in that same spot for the rest of the summer, it kind of feels like they're actually trying to see if some show, some of these things will actually work to start bolstering, you know, maybe this becomes a summer show. And what I'm hoping for, because the guys are so funny and they're just like, I got to see them do stand up twice one in Philly and one in LA and they are just the funniest people and it helps. And I think, cause you know, a lot of times with like a comedy that's a live audience, you know, they don't necessarily connect with the audience. They don't necessarily have chemistry together because it's a pilot. It's these guys are best friends. Like these four people have known each other for years and ha- they're sta- they're working really well known. Well, Brent isn't really well known. Rick isn't really well known, but Chris and Ron are very well known comedians who are so good with a live audience and know how to feed off of that. And I think the episodes only get better from what I've seen. Like I've seen six and I just, it's not reinventing the wheel. It is a solid series. And Bill Lawrence keeps like, like he likes to keep telling us it's like, think about cheers. Think about, 
You know, it's like this ensemble comedy that is set in, it's not a multi, you know, it's a, I guess it's multi-cam, it's not single cam, it's doing something that we maybe aren't used to seeing these days, but I really think it's worth checking out, because I really think that they have something there. Yeah. Now, is that, is that the one that is reusing the Whitney sets? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so Crystal Leo would feel right at home. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if, uh, that's that definitely is something I'm. I haven't got a chance to see any of the episodes yet, but I'm looking forward to to that one. And uh, if you'd like to hear more from Bill Lawrence about Undateable, uh, as previously mentioned in this podcast, uh, uh, Jason and Joel from Antenna Free TV did about. I don't know. I think they talked to him for about fifty minutes or so. Uh, yeah, he their, loves talking about this show. He will talk about the show until he's blue in the face. Yeah, on their the the latest episode of their podcast, and we'll have uh, a link to that in the show notes. And uh, Kyle. What is uh, your recommendation for this week? So uh, earlier this week, or I guess technically last week, um, there was like a Kickstarter announcement uh, for this Canadian series called Corner Gas that they were going to be getting the cast back together to do a movie. So that reminded me that the series, which ran from 2004 to 2009, like I really enjoyed the series. It was a sitcom that took place in this small town where the main character owns this gas station, and next door is this diner where this new, uh, the niece of the original owner moves into this small town to run that diner. And then there's all these quirky townsfolk, you know, like small-minded cops and like the other people that work at the diner and the mini-mart that's attached to the gas station and his ornery parents. It, it's kind of like an Ed or a Gilmore Girls if those had been sitcoms. And it, it, I thought it was like a really fun show and they do like all those quick cutaway type of jokes like Scrubs used to do a lot. And with the movie coming in December, I figured uh, now would be a good time to recommend it. The only problem is I think that it's only available uh, on DVD. I don't mm -hmm. think there's any kind of streaming sources. And you may have to get the DVDs from Canada. <laughs> I guess originally it aired on like WGN, but I've never received that network. So uh, I don't know if they're still showing reruns after such a long time or or if it's airing anywhere in the U.S. But I couldn't find it anywhere but on, on DVD. But another another show coming back from the dead in some form. Hmm. Yeah, although they, they, their Kickstarter is more of a, here are some promotional items you could buy pretty much. They're already going to make the movie no matter what, but their Kickstarter, they met their $100,000 goal in less than a day, and I don't even know what they're up to right now, but I I know after two days they're already up to like 150000 so... They're well over their goal. They, there's a jokey video on there saying they're going to use it for their werewolf special effects and all this <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> like whatever went over 100000 So I'm interested to see the movie. Uh, I didn't do the Kickstarter, but uh, I'm interested to check out the movie once it finally comes out. All right. Well, that'll do it for uh, the recommendations, and that'll do it for this 2013-14 TV season recap episode. Hopefully you uh, enjoyed listening to it, if you're still listening to it <laughs> at this point. <laughs> You've made it this far. <laughs> but uh, as usual, you can find uh, links to uh, the, recommendations we, uh, the recommendations we made, uh, as well as where, where you can find uh, all the various guests that joined us uh, throughout this episode uh, in the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 228. And we'd like to hear uh, your thoughts, like what show, you know, what canceled shows are are you going to miss most? What reality shows did you like the, the best? 
Let us know what you thought about our discussions of uh, Arrow and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and talking a bit about The, the Good Wife. Gosh, what else did we talk about on this episode? It's been so long, I can't even remember what we talked about. No, I was on it last week and I don't remember. <laughs> but a bunch of different uh, different shows. Uh, Once Upon a Time, we talked about we talked about the Blacklist and Scandal. So you know, let us uh, let us know what what shows uh, did you like most from this past TV season. And uh, as usual, you can uh, drop us a note. Uh, in the comments on the show notes or uh, send us an email via feedback at tvtimes3.com. And uh, next week, Amory will be back with me, and uh, our guest will be uh, Kurt Wagner from showpatroltv.com. You've been warned. Uh, yes. and You guys we'll are be... finally doing a podcast together? <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. We have. He's putting us on together. Yes. We haven't lost our uh, chance after <laughs> And uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be uh, looking at uh, the summer, what's coming this summer, even though some of that stuff has already started because much like uh, summer movie season, it keeps starting earlier and earlier. Yes. <laughs> each, each year. I'll probably but... talk about Undateable again. <laughs> and Spoiler alert. Talk... Yeah, spoiler alert. I'm probably going to keep talking about Undateable because I'm in love with Brent Morin. All right. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it, folks. <laughs> The opening and closing music is provided by IODA Promenade. The song is TV Party from the Asylum Street Spankers from their Mercurial title put out by Yellow Dog Records. And that'll do it. That'll close out episode 228. Thanks oh. for listening, and uh, thank you both for joining me. Glad you made it this far, everybody. <laughs> Congratulations. We sit glued to the TV set all night. And every night. Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright. We got nothing better to do. And watch TV and have a couple of brews.